Yes, now it's working. Oh, hi, Ron. How's, how's, your, uh, how's your day going so far today? So far, so good. Yeah, anything uh, anything interesting besides sitting on the train, uh, 18 million hours to get here? To no, the worst commute ever to get anywhere. Yeah. Long Island Railroad. Long I don't Island recommend Railroad. it. Yeah. And the G train, which is worse than any subway I've ever experienced. Uh, I mean, it can be. It's it's my subway line, and I'll say that it has improved over the years. It has improved. I'll give you that. And I can see you're loyal to it. (laughs) I'm quite quite loyal to it. Um, Welcome to the Automatic Crowd. Uh, I'm Artie. I'm Ron. And uh, this is a little intro we're putting together for um, our John Stanier uh, podcast, which was insanely long. Yeah. We it, talked. We talked a lot. John is a John is a lovely guy, um, and uh, I think I edited out some stupid shit I've said because that's because I was on like my sixth beer in, in an hour after. I hope you edited out my stupid shit. No, nah, well. your your you shit. Threw was, me under the bus. Your shit was in, the bus in, in front of in the. In this club episode, here. you can find out what shows Ron was almost at. <laughs> yeah, I was almost really cool. He was oh, he was almost at that show. He was there. He was around the corner, <laughs> but he wasn't there. Yeah. Um, we <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we had Anthrax this weekend at St. Vitus in, in, in update. I don't know when this is going to come out, but let's fucking talk about it, man. You know, uh, you I love Anthrax, imagine. right, Ron? Uh, I love Up to Among the Living, absolutely. Wow. But my yeah. favorite is actually Fistful of Metal, even though Neil Turbin is an idiot. You mean Neil Tennant? <laughs> yes, him. <laughs> even though they had to sing with the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I hope. I actually hope he signed Neil Tennant. On. <laughs> that would have been great. He rambled. He wrote a paragraph on your record. I know. I know. He was very excited since he didn't know the lyrics for the Onslaught songs. He had to do something. to make this make sense to people. Uh, Onslaught played here at Vitus, and Neil Turbin sang, and he didn't know the words, so he had like his he had his laptop or something connected to a microphone stand, so he could read the lyrics for like Power from Hell and the Force. And afterwards, I got an Anthrax record signed for Artie, and he was a mumbling, incoherent, strange man. And he wrote about three sentences on the record that you can't read. He was really weird. If you ever want to see it, it's behind the bar. It's uh, yeah. There's then, a great autograph collection behind the bar. Don't and, try and steal it. And a couple weeks later, <laughs> a couple weeks later, I got uh, Scott Ian uh, played here with Motor Sister, and I got him to sign it. And me and him had a, a short conversation about it. And he was like, "Oh, Neil signed. Neil was here." And I was like, "Yeah." And I told him the onslaught story. And then I, at that point, I believe onslaught had thrown him out. Yeah, he was already, gone at the second the, the tour ended. They threw him out, and it, it was. Really bad blood. Yeah, it was really something terrible, and because uh, he never bothered to learn the lyrics, and I guess he was like holding an iPad as opposed. I don't know what the hell it was, but anyway, he uh, Scott <laughs> Scott was like, I guess I was right thirty years ago. <laughs> well, he might have been right about that, but I'm over two with Scott myself, so well, uh, uh, you know, hey, hey, everybody has different experiences. Yeah, and that was thirty years ago, so I'm not going to hold. Hey, uh, he, I just saw I just saw Anthrax twice this weekend, and I don't think I said a word to him, so you know, but. I didn't try either. I was yeah. I was busy lifting equipment and being having, a roadie for a night. Yeah, having arguments about where things should go and you I've know. never seen Anthrax play and not be great, so I'm sure they were they awesome. Were, oh yeah, they were they were great. Um, I've seen every lineup too. I mean, I even saw him with that weird singer that was in for like two shows. Oh, Danny Nelson. Oh, yeah, who's from Long Island? Nelson, yeah, and uh, they played not outdoors. Danny Nelson. He's he's a singer of malignancy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that. Dan Nelson, I believe. Um, that's it. Yeah, um, they played over by the water on the east side at like 1 in the morning, and it was 20 below with the oh, wind Oh, was chill. it that skate thing? Yes, and yeah, yeah. I'm stupid, so I went, froze my dick off. But even with him, they were great. Yeah. And I, mean, I haven't seen them since spreading the disease. So. Hey, George. Hey, George, what's up? George bought paper, and he just came back from the bank. 
So you should, right. come, you should go rob him. You deserve to be on the air. Yeah, you should. You should come on. Come join us. As he runs away. You can tell us about your experience on yes, Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> I could have told you that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and then I went to uh, – I, I did all that. I got home at 4 a.m. I woke up at 7 with my child, as usual, and – I then drove two and a half hours to the Rock Allegiance Festival in Chester, Pennsylvania, which Chester, Pennsylvania is a real interesting place. It has uh, four hotels, a uh, prison, um, a, a minor league soccer stadium or something. I never and heard of it. I, dude, it's, it's one of the weirdest fucking places. And uh, the Boeing factory. That oh. was pretty much Chester. But this festival was was all right. I saw Death Angel. They were great. Uh, like always. Yeah. Um, they did. They played so early in the day, and it was weird uh, because they had to play before like stuff like Pierce the Veil and the oh, Amity God. Affliction. They and, deserve much better than that. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, but you know, not to put those bands down because I'm too old to enjoy such music, and every kid wearing one of their T-shirts, which there were a lot. Uh, they are popular. But. Was like 14. So, yeah. you know, you got to start somewhere. You know, Blink-182 was a gateway band for a lot of people. Green Day was a gateway band for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I mean, Not in the metal world, maybe in the punk world, but even in the metal world, you know. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have a gateway. <laughs> I didn't have a gateway. I, just, I found Merciful I, Fate, started worshiping Satan, and yeah, off I went. That's exactly my story. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I'll say Black Sabbath. Black, Black well, Sabbath, Sabbath first. Yeah. But sa- to, into the underground, I stumbled upon Merciful Fate and Slayer and then... I never came back. Yeah, never. Still to this day. And then I found Victim in Pain. So who else? Oh, I saw Ghost, which I've never seen before. and They're great live. I, I was completely floored. I haven't been floored by a band in a really long time. And not just the show, which I found comical. Um, uh, it was more... The music was he was, in his jokey kind of... Oh, he was so... Yeah, he was totally joking the yeah, whole time. He, he became that. The first few times I saw him, he was serious and straight. And then, like, the third time I saw him, all of a sudden he became this... Funny, entertaining, almost loungy kind of guy. Yeah, but uh, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a lounge thing, totally. Yeah, yeah and he like orchestrates everybody and exactly. makes fun of them as they do solos. I just, I, although it was daytime, which I definitely think um, nighttime would have been way. Ghost during the day does sound weird. Yeah, because I never saw them. I saw them outdoors once, but it was at night. So yeah, I, was, I liked it so much that I, I was standing on the side of the stage watching them, and then I was like, "Let's go." out into the floor because I, I wanted to see it. It was like, you know, when, when you're on side stage, it shows like that. Everybody's got in-ears, so the only thing you hear is a snare drum. Yep, <laughs> totally. It's like, dong, dong, dong. And like, there's a visual aspect to Ghost you're not going to catch from the side of the stage. Definitely not. Although it was, it was pretty funny to just see them mulling around with the outfits on. You know? Oh, pre-show? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's got to be comical. It was pretty funny. They, um, and they make their crew dress up. Really? Yeah. So their crew... Wow. Their crew had like they didn't have full suits on, but they had like vests and like the ghost symbol and, and like they they looked like they were it was after a wedding and they were hanging out at a bar. <laughs> so they That's took their jacket visual. off. They like took the shoes off. They went with sneakers, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> it was it was it was really really good though. Uh, and I discovered a new podcast on my trip that Which I was? enjoyed very much. It's called The Hour of Goon. The what? My, the Hour of Goon. It's my friend Terry. Uh, Turn me on to it. He's friends with Marilyn Manson and a whole crew. But it's uh, Twiggy Ramirez's podcast. Oh, Twiggy has a podcast? Yeah, with this guy, Fred Sablon, The Hour of Goon. I highly suggest it. It is funny as fuck. And it, the, those two guys, like, it's a is lot it of... Is it topical na- or is it more... Yeah, no, it's like, it's just, it's a lot of inside jokes, but they're really funny. And they, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I can't really explain it too much. It's a lot of name dropping because those guys... Only know famous people. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know low-level schmucks yeah, they, like they, us. No, no. You know, <laughs> they don't talk about their high school friends in Florida or anything. Um, yeah. 
like us. They talk about in their New York, uh, Long Island. We don't, they don't aimlessly the make other fun of themselves. They mingle with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's pretty endless. Um, but I, I, that was a, that was my trip back and forth. And then I was on the Verrazano Bridge on the way home, and uh, there was a big ruckus going down right off the exit to the Belt Parkway, and that was the van that they pulled over with all the weapons. Yeah, that was interesting. And the dudes in it. So I was on the bridge. Was that you were behind that? Mm-hmm. So you didn't see it happen, but you were caught. In no, the I, I was right after it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, that freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, it was an interesting weekend here in New York. A yeah. lot of. Uh, Terrorist or potential terrorist attacks. Yeah, I mean, pretty weak ones, I got to say. But yeah, know, I, I mean, <laughs> not to say if you're going to do it, do it right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the yeah, guy yeah. gets an F for execution. Com- compared to some of the re- some of the stuff that's happened, that was it was pretty pathetic. Yeah. But but uh, I mean, everyone got out of the hospital the next day. I'm sure I mean, your your bombs that. being like uh, what was the one a that homeless guy? A homeless guy. <laughs> when a homeless guy dissolves your bomb, you make a shitty bomb. Yeah, you're not making a good bomb. But that's not a challenge. No. <laughs> Not please. recommending terrorists go to just bomb leave school. us alone in New York, please. We yeah, we got enough our lives bullshit. are hard enough. Totally. Like, <laughs> don't create more fucking traffic, man. I agree. You got to take that, Ron. You okay? Uh, it's a text actually from Stefan from Winter. Oh no way! And he's going to do the podcast. He's going to do the podcast, Listen which is awesome. God, I'll, I'll save all my Winter love for for when we do that podcast. But yeah, uh, incredible band. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just and way ahead of the curve. If you really want to, if you don't know who Winter is, take your Celtic Frost records. Yeah, take your Celtic Frost records and melt them. Take your forty fives. If you have a forty five Celtic Celtic Frost record, play it on the wrong play speed. it on the wrong speed at thirty three, and you have Winter. Yes, and uh, yeah, they're great. They literally created the genre. They in did. my opinion, they did. They had no fucking clue they were doing it either. No, they certainly. They just didn't. thought everybody hated them because yeah. kind of they did. I mean. Except for, I went to except for me, first, I, it was me, you. I can name good. everyone that was at their first five shows. <laughs> yeah. There was like maybe twenty five of us. Oh my god! I wore the shit out of that fucking demo Do cover you shirt. That shirt. I have the I have the, the piece of the it. Church? I just had the piece of it left, the front <laughs> of it. It's my mom cut it up. But um, is it salvageable? Can you like put it on the back of a jacket? I can put it on the back punk? of a jacket. Yeah, I could look punk, crusty, but I'm not very crusty. So. <laughs> I'm Sell pretty. Out. I'm pretty shit at being crusty. <laughs> you still wear a nausea shirt. You get points for that. That's true. That's true. I'm just you know looking for credibility because I need it. I know it sucks. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, <laughs> so that festival was good though. And Ghost, it was cool. Uh, Anthrax was great. Um, did uh, Ghost I, headline? I, Ghost did not headline. No. Uh, who headline? Avenged Sevenfold. Oh, okay. Um, Is our buddy still? No, he's not the drummer anymore, right? Who? Mike Portnoy was in that band for a while. Oh, I saw Mike everywhere. Oh, great. He was there with his son, yeah. I'm sure well, his well, kid's well, nice, I think, the, I think the worst part was that originally when I walked up, I was not on the list. And and I was with my friend Terry, who I brought down with me. And George and Dave were supposed to come, but they they were they opted to deal with anthrax on Saturday night instead. Wrong move. I know. And um, especially since when I found out we had, like, fucking super all access. Like, yeah, anywhere you want to fucking go. I ate roast beef in the catering. Pimp life. It was so sick. Anyways... <laughs> I felt like my old life again. It was nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, I don't remember what I was. Oh, so so I'm at, I'm at the VIP, get whatever, and, and who's in front of me? Fucking literally in front of in you? front of me, right? With his with his kid and his kid, kid's friend, or probably their band or something. And uh, he fucking whisks right through, and then I'm like, go up, and I'm like, oh no, we didn't get that list, and blah blah. So I'm sitting there with emails from the owner of the festival, like showing it, like, and I'm like, being totally nice because it's not this girl's fault. I'm like, I'm sorry, can yeah, I it's just a girl at the door. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, she didn't, and, and like apparently the, these people didn't put any of their lists in, and I was like, all right, but it was pretty early, and I mean the festival's like 12 hours long, and eventually we got our. They passes probably didn't expect cool people to show up that early. 
<laughs> well, thanks, Ron. <laughs> I, I mean, mean you're cool. You should, yeah, you should I, appreciate I, that. I, you know, it was it was great, and I went straight to the VIP bar. And it was See, really nice. There you go. Yeah, proving how cool you are. I even I even helped them make money um, after getting it for free. But so yeah, you saw him. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was cool. You know, he's he's a drummer. Played in Avenged Sevenfold. Um, he's at, a better drummer than he is a person. <laughs> So uh, anyway, <laughs> that's another story. Yeah, I might have to edit that out. I got nothing to lose. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, Avenged Sevenfold headlined. Uh, who else? Uh, oh man, uh, Breaking Benjamin did on one of the. I mean, oh, so there's like these almost Alice hot topics. Alice in Chains. Oh, Alice in Chains. And that Slayer. guy sounds just like him. He does. They were they were good. And Billy Duffy from the Cult came out, and I took a really? selfie with with Billy Duffy. Because I, cool. I wanted to send it to George. I was like, you, you recorded a Nokia commercial at my bar. You remember me? He's like, no. <laughs> That's, I didn't even know that commercial existed. It, uh, it was on a line thing. That's funny. Yeah. What yeah. did he do? Was he rocking out on stage? Yeah, he had to play, and they recorded it uh, with uh, cameras. With the new Nokia phone, saying like this function of recorded audio. Oh, they were really showing good. off the technology. Yes. So the whole thing was recorded with that. And they used Billy Duffy. How random. They used the cult, but Ian Asbury didn't bother to show up. He was he was on oh, his honeymoon. Yeah, and so they only got Billy. Although I don't know what Ian Asbury would have done because it was just a guitar thing. I, I don't know. I don't know the whole story behind it. But Joe Gorelick, who was the well, maybe dr- he's supposed to stand there and rock out at least. Yeah, Joe Gorelick, the former drummer of Garden Variety. Um, yes, and current drummer of Red Hair and uh, Red Hair, good. Uh, yeah, I just booked him. Uh, nice. And uh, oh, oh, the, the band, band with Jason Farrell. Why am I fucking blanking here? I must have read not Red Hair, but that's the other Garden Variety. Uh, um, oh my god. Yeah, what the fuck's wrong with me? Holy Sorry, shit. Joe and Jason, I'm a total douche. But anyway, um, uh, Red Sonic. That's yeah. it. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, he was he directed the commercial. And so they, oh, okay. they they needed a stage and someplace to be loud, so they came here and did it. And Perfect nice. place. And they had corporate money to pay with, which is always nice. Corporate money goes further. Yeah, unfortunately, we had, no, there's only one Ian Mackay, so <laughs> I'm not him. It's <laughs> all right. You know, you know. Not everyone has to be him. No, not everybody. But that's no, a not good. Not everyone can be him. That's a good segue into the John Stanier. Uh, it actually podcast is because I, I believe I told a story about Jay Robbins. Yelling at me about major major labels in this podcast, um, but you'll hear uh, again. You'll hear Ron talk about shows he was almost at. You'll hear me. <laughs> uh, you'll hear me going to the bathroom and drinking beer during the entire time. I remember you going to the bathroom. I had twice. Go, even. Yeah, I know. I think three times. Really? Three? Yeah. yeah. You piss yeah. a lot. Yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I was I was very nervous. We had a we had a famous rock star drummer in our midst. Yeah, you were trembling. Um, <laughs> he's incredibly down to earth, and he has an amazing musical legacy. Yes, he's, uh, he's he's well a, spoken, and it was a great interview. Um, yeah, it was, it was a super cool interview and, uh, we hope you in, enjoy it. Uh, this might even be our first episode if I decide to do that or it could be Johnny Stiff, but you know, I don't, I don't know. Johnny we had, Stiff. We had, we had audio if you don't problems, know who Johnny but... Stiff is, tune in. <laughs> he's, uh, he's New York through and through. Absolutely. For better and for worse. And as a transplant, so is John Stanier and here is his interview. Welcome to the automatic crowd.
The mighty Sundance, as we like to call. All right, get get a little bit more up on that mic. Maybe I'll just turn the inputs up. Like the bigger hardcore band, like Lamar's. It was like Lamar's of Long Island. Very Lamar's like. I might have gone there. Then I might have seen. In the '90s, I saw um, Sheer Terror and Biohazard. That was the Roxy. It's the same owner. Okay. I was at that show. That was a, and um, Sheer Terror, Biohazard, and like uh, mid '90s. And sick of it all. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. That was a. That's the same owner. Sundance closed. He opened the Roxy. Okay. Same vibe. Same suburban right. wasteland. <laughs> suburban. Actually, it's not, New York Avenue is nice. Well, yeah, but everything around it isn't. No, no, it fucking sucks. It's where we grew up. Anyway, John Stainer, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm good, man. How are you? I'm I'm, Artie. Ron, say hi. What's up, man? What's going on? You're welcome to the the podcast. We're incredibly excited to have you. I'm incredibly excited to be here. I couldn't believe you said yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming, man. I think it's... uh, John and I met uh, when Battles played here the first time, and and, uh, and Battles was kind of a, a I'm not going to say difficult uh, operation, <laughs> but I'll say they're a difficult operation, not difficult people, uh, shall we say? But um, good, awesome people uh, when I finally met them. So that was a nice, you know, I, I was expecting <laughs> Dickhead City, just like a bunch wow, of nice oh, I was expecting a bunch of nerds to sit there going, "No, it's not right. I got to play it like this." <laughs> It was totally not like that. And John, actually, when I told him that I thought that the, they were going to be a pain in the ass, the first question he asked me was, who's the biggest dick who ever played here? <laughs> Great I always ask that question. I love it's, it. I love, love it. you ask that question because yeah. no one had ever asked me before. And I was like, uh, I, just, I don't know who the biggest dick is. I know who the biggest dick is now. Well, yeah, no, but that was now the funny, that was the funny part. So, John, so, so a week later... The biggest dick ever played here. Ah, right, yeah. okay. And I texted And you texted me. Just like, oh, by the way, yeah, update. Update. Yeah. Biggest dick ever. I was there for that. Unparalleled wow. biggest dick. Probably to ever walk through the doors, much yeah. less play here. Yeah. Wow. It was uh, it unbelievable. Was, uh, I don't know about that. Really? Yeah. That's, well, uh, there's a, there's a couple, there's a couple of customers I could think of that uh, were big. Wonder Give him, I'm, I'm editing that out. Okay. Um, so, John, what are you up to, man? What are you doing? Well, you live in Berlin, correct? I live in Berlin and New York at the same time. Wow. Wow. He's like it's Walter like Shrevel's on crack. He's just like Walter. Kind of crazy. Yeah. That's, man. Well, uh, yeah, but I, don't, I thought, well, I don't think Walter lives in Berlin anymore. He's, I think he still has his place, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's been around here a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. While he's out and about. It's good yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> For you, I'm sure. I love him while he's out and about. It's good times. Um, yeah, so so so, how does it feel to be uh, ten places ahead of Meg White as one of the one hundred top drummers of all time? <laughs> oh, um, I I didn't know what people were congratulating me, and I didn't know what they were talking about, and then I finally saw it, and yeah, I mean, and it's Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I I'll, I'll say I was it, it was funny because I only saw it t- this morning, and I, I was like, oh, Stan, you better be on this, right? Like, it'd be fucking great to talk about this list on on the podcast. And I'm going and I'm going and I'm going. And you, you were 84, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you were 84. And uh, but like the first thing I saw was Meg White. <laughs> I was like, no, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, as number 100? No, she was like 97 or okay, something. Okay. Okay. She should be 97,000. Yeah, I mean, I would say she's in the top 10 worst drummers of all time who are popular. I you mean, know, maybe the original she's pavement so drummer minimal. or like you know I, the, that the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That girl's not exactly. Uh, no, uh, you know, talented. but I mean, how, how do uh, I, mean, I, I don't I don't mean to put Meg down and I'm sure they had good intentions of putting her on there for whatever reason. But, 
she's obviously, you know, even to her admission, would probably be like, well, why am I on this list? This is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's the, it's, I, it's to me, that's, that's the deal with lists. They're ridiculous. Of I mean, course. it's subjective you know, anyway. And then yeah. when something like that happens, it's borderline absurd. Yeah. Because it's more like the band she's connected to as opposed to her individual ability. Exactly, right. Which, I mean, you know, that's part of the game. It's Rolling Stone for fuck's sake. Yeah, well, again, right. yeah, it's, uh, they're trying to adhere to a mainstream and they're also uh, dealing with... Um, Clickbait. They want to put her name in things so that people will click on the list. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good right. point. Hey, Wyatt, I'm pissed off. It's something negative. I want to look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might be that porno <laughs> tape. Hey, comment on it. Damn it. It might be that porno tape, that long rumored porno tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That oh, ever come out? I never no. heard about that. Yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah, I don't know the details, but uh, apparently someone filmed her at some point. Was it an ex boyfriend or something? And then when she got big, it got leaked. Wow. I don't know. When you have a few minutes, but it, you're but, really but it bored, wasn't technically her. It <laughs> wasn't, apparently, it wasn't her. Yeah, that, something to that effect. It's How sad. disappointing. I know. How disappointing. So sad. Yeah. So sad. What are you going to do? Uh, nothing. Um, <laughs> but you're on a list with some of your heroes. Oh, obviously. yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of jazz guys on there. That, I mean, I don't know how much you know about jazz. I know nothing. Um, yeah. Besides Steely Dan. I know Dan. just above nothing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, give me a Steely Dan record. I'll go, oh, that guy was in, that guy's jazz, right? Jazz, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe Bill Bruford's Earthworks, and that's, that's about it. Yeah. Well, you're the prog rock guy. Well, yeah, and Bruford was pretty high up on that. I'm actually reading his autobiography right now. Is it good? It's, yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's Bruford. He's so pretentious. And, oh, yeah. Know. He deserves to be high on that list. I was He's briefly obsessed with rock person books, autobiographies. Did you ever like, read Sammy Hagar's? No, Best but I have, ever. like, David Lee Roth one's really good. That one's great. Oh, fantastic bass player from Blur that one's pretty good awesome read that one too yeah that's really good that's got already yeah. written all actually the Slash one is really good <laughs> the Slash one's great um, I met Slash he was a really nice guy yeah. he, and he seemed very open BMX. I know what the worst book. one is and I hate to say this because it was such a turning point here at Vitus was Tony Iommi Oh, really? Wow. Oh, okay. it's terrible it's, it's like a three-year-old wrote it it's really yeah. bland <laughs> he doesn't go into the stories he touches on every story you want to read How 20 pages about remember? yeah Obviously nothing. I mean, Ozzy, Ozzy's book, you remembered lots. I don't know. I, I, apparently. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's just like, so, there's no way, like, I'm sorry, but the Keith Richards one is just 600 like, pages what worth the of hell no. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, D. Snyder I, says that about his autobiography. He goes, at least you know mine is real because I never did drugs. He's like, does anyone believe what's in an Ace Freely or an Ozzy yeah. book? He's like, these guys <laughs> don't remember. Ace was that. awesome. Yeah, but he probably uh, barely wrote it. Fucking Ron Woods was really good. I've read, I've read so many. It's crazy. I Davis briefly, Staines. I scanned through the ministry one, and I was oh, like, this, uh, no I skimmed no through that, and way. I didn't read it. But like, he was yeah. junked out for like decades. I know, but it's just, it, it's, it's like a, a child wrote it. Or it's just like. <laughs> well, then maybe it is him, legit. Yeah, That's I, believable. I the it, Paul Deano one is nuts. <laughs> There's a Paul Deano one? Wow. It's all about what? beating people up, doing drugs, um, going in and out of jail. He admits Pub to rock. just beating all his girlfriends. I mean, it's a, it's a dark read. And now he's like in a wheelchair, I think. I mean, he is oh, in man. a wheelchair and he's still performing. He's do- yeah. oh, no, he's man. not doing that. I was going to say, is he doing the tour with, uh, is it Jeff Tate, Blaze ba- Bailey, and is he on that? Yeah, no, I don't think he is actually. Oh, it's oh, it's Ripper. Ripper's on it. Oh, of Ripper. Owens. Yeah. yeah, well, that makes more sense because Ripper can anyway. actually sing and walk. So, John, you uh, you grew up in Maryland and in no, Florida? I, I uh, in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, okay, Pittsburgh, and then um, I probably got another job and we moved to outside of um, Fort Lauderdale. Okay, so I went to high school in Florida. I'm sorry, I know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I know. I, I grew up in a, a town called Plantation. Ooh, oh, interesting. Yeah, was there a plantation? What kind of history does it have? <laughs> 
Um, was there that house where they did the hangings, the, the lynchings, <laughs> like they have in Nashville, Andrew Jackson's no, plantation? No, 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 no. no. Um, it was, you know, four years of hell, just like everybody else, and yeah. then um, got, got out, so. So were you into hardcore and punk and? Big time, yeah. In high school? Yes. So what, what was there, did you play in any local stuff at that time? Or I was in a band, well, actually, in high school I wasn't, but then I, when I, I went to college in Tampa, and I was in a band called Jehovah's Sicknesses for, yeah, amazing, amazing name, um, for <laughs> two years. And what years, what years would that be like? That would be um, 80, 86, 87. Record anything? No. Did you play like, Nothing. The, you play like the blue chair and fucking any of those mm. whack places in Ebor or? Yeah, a lot of places in Ebor, yeah. I'm not sure what was around that then. Uh, uh, totally different names now. I think like the Ritz or um, yeah. this oh, dude's the Loft. 403 like, yeah. Chaos wasn't open, was it? The Steve um, Heritage's? No, 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 no. That was a no. Yeah, That's like mid-90s, I think. Is it? Like, yeah, Ebor really changed. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty pretty grim back in the 80s, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tampa, the huge metal scene, but that's right after that. that exactly. It's like right yeah. after I left, then yeah. the death metal thing yeah, came in. Yeah, that's it, where yeah. it exploded. Right. That's cool. Did you, did you see any awesome shows? That, like, what, what was the thing that turned you on to... You mean like back in the day? Yeah. Well, all the shows were in Miami. I would have to go down to Miami Beach, at a place called The Cameo, okay. which still exists. Um, I think it's still a venue, but uh, that was basically the only place in all of South Florida where you, we'd have like two to three shows a month. But I mean, I saw, yeah, I saw like Dead Kennedys, Circle Jerks. I saw COC and DRI that when they did um, um, Animosity and Dealing With It, like that, that, that tour. So that's like 86. Yeah, that was awesome. with SOD here yeah. at Lemoore's. That was really good. Fear. Um, yeah, so I saw pretty much, I saw Agnostic Front GBH tour. That was really good. Nice. Wow. Um, and then I went to college for two years and then did the, um, um, I'm going to take off a year off of school and, and move to back. New York and, you know, <laughs> see what happens. And if something doesn't happen after a year, I'm going to go straight back to school. Of course, that's what you tell your parents. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I did it. And then I moved to New York in the summer of uh, 1988. And that's when the rest of your life started. Basically. So yeah. where'd you move when you moved here? Would you? I moved to 10th Street and Avenue C. Oh, ooh, that was nice back Lovely then. Lovely neighborhood, then. Yeah. Um, Fun, though. Don't send any yeah, pictures Yeah, it, it wasn't that bad. It was, it was actually, I moved here, like, right after the Thompson Square Park riot, the first one. Yeah. The, the big, big one. Like a, like, a couple of weeks after, so. I was in the city that night, but luckily I wasn't in that area. Yeah. It's, but that was I was pretty quick. crazy. Yeah. Were you in it? No, no, no. I moved here right after. Oh, right. Oh, directly right. after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, a couple weeks after. But then there was another one. There was, like, a smaller one. Yes, there was a smaller one. Yeah. I was there that night, too. Yep. But again, not involved, and not even, the second one was in the area at least. The first one I had no idea. I came home and it was on the news. Right. Wasn't the was second like, one a couple oh, years shit, later, like nineteen? Wasn't it no, one? In, no, I thought there was one in like was, ninety or something. They actually did um, because they that's when they put the curfew in the park. And if I remember right, right. The the original one is they kicked everybody out. There was right. this huge riot. Then they then that was really chaotic. And then I swear it was like a, a week or two later. Then everyone a like a week would, later would, there was the protest show. Right, but all the bands played. Yeah, yeah that was like Crackdown. I saw that show. Yeah, Crackdown, I was there. Nausea. I think it was Nausea and, and Crackdown. Long Reagan, Island. Reagan, Reagan Youth. Reagan yeah. Youth, yep. yep. Yeah, I was at that show. There's some interesting stuff on the video there, but I'm not going to talk about it in public. When the mics were off, we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Some, we'll talk. some interesting we'll stuff talk. happened that day. One thing that did happen is that guy, Daniel Rockowitz. Are you familiar with him? Yep. Uh, yeah, we hung out with him most of the day that day. And, God, uh, with his rooster? 
Yes, wow. and he was he was telling us that you know there was going to be a riot. Wait, wait, night. okay, wait, wait, right. hang on, hang on, you know hang on. Wait, wait, rewind for the listeners. Who, who's a guy who walked around Tinder the Rooster? Tinder Rockowitz is um, was no, he's from Texas. He's in jail. Is he still alive? I assume he is in jail. Okay. Um, to my knowledge, he's from Texas originally. He became like a Lower East Side character. He's a communist. He was like a yeah, member of the American Communist Party. Very politically active. Um, Tompkins Square Park dweller all the way. But uh, became very infamous because he killed his girlfriend, who I think was from Sweden or Switzerland. He boiled her in the tub, and then he made soup out of her and fed her to the homeless. So the story goes. So the story goes. And of course, there's also the little side note that um, Stefan from uh, False, Prophets. False Prophets left a note on his door saying, like, is, like, is she soup yet or something? Oh, I never heard that <laughs> part. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that adds to the story. <laughs> I, I know my I friend know I rented the place not, after that. He got a really good price. I bet. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, because the guy, he had he an apartment. He goes, yeah, this was uh, Rockowitz's place. So, you know, I got a good deal. I was like, yeah, I'd imagine. So. Wow. I went right to the tub. He I had a like, great name, Rockowitz. It's like like Jewish, like a Jewish, uh, <laughs> like a rock club a Jew, owned by a Jewish guy on Long Island. Yeah. Come down to Rockowitz's. Rockowitz. Yeah. If rock, only he marketed wait. that and didn't yeah, kill, kill his kill girlfriend to make soup, he might have had a bright future. He actually, he, they interview him on the, uh, CBS did like a smear piece on Missing Foundation on that. Oh, I, remember. Oh, I totally remember that. Yeah. And they interview him on that. And he's just going off how he wants to waste pigs. And, and Fetus actually samples him, I think on the Gash record. F- Fetus samples some of his, uh, his ramblings. He was quite the character. We hung out on him that whole day between every band. And that was the first time I met him. I was like, wow. I really like this guy. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, he was just—he was like the the chicken man. That's yeah. what everybody used to call him. It's just like oh, there's a guy with the walking around with the rooster, like and whatever. Every time I went to Tompkins Square, Tuesday afternoon, it yeah. didn't matter if it was like yep. two in the afternoon, or two in the morning. Yeah. He was always there. <laughs> <laughs> but he had an apartment, so he must have yeah. paid rent. I guess that's just where he hung out. That was his. No, yeah. see, every, and the every crazy was right person. There. I'm convinced every fucking crazy person you meet in New York. They inherited their fucking apartment, and they don't pay any fucking rent. I'm convinced of it. There's people in my neighborhood, this crazy bag, there's a couple of crazy bag ladies, and like, they, they, you know, I'm talking to the local bartender, oh yeah, she owns the building around the corner. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Why do you get a building? It's Greenpoint. I don't live here. I live, I live in, I live in uh, South Brooklyn, but still, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, and Greenpoint, yeah, all these guys who were passed out on the corner up on Greenpoint Avenue, yeah. they probably all own their buildings. <laughs> I'm guaranteed I mean, these Polish yeah. guys. Wouldn't you sleep in maybe, your own bed sure. if you did? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's a long walk home. It's a long walk home when <laughs> yeah. you're that drunk. Might as well just sleep in your piss on the corner. <laughs> it's more it's convenient. I, I, I agree. Anyway, uh, so, all right, so you're in the city now, 1988, and where's, where's life going from here? Like, um, you, you I, were like, I'm going to move. Like, so at this point, you, hadn't, you played in one band in Tampa. I was in a hardcore band in Tampa. I moved here, and then within a week, I was in... I, Actually, was in Rapid Deployment Force, which was a New York hardcore band. Actually, it was like predates New York hardcore. It's um, I remember that. the guy from Antidote was in. They were around in like the really early, like early eighties, I think, and then they broke up. And then I was in like the the reformed like a later lineup. Yeah, and it was me. It was the three older dudes, one one of whom used to be in Antidote, and then me and um, Tim Benzio? Cohen, who went on to be in One Hundred Eight. Okay, oh, of course. Yeah. So, and he was like sixteen or something. So, uh, yeah, because he's younger. Nineteen, I think. Yeah, um, and that lasted for. We didn't even play a show, um, but it was just like tons of rehearsing with them, and um, that lasted for under a year, I think. 
Um, but that was really fun. I mean, I met a bunch of people and stuff. And so, like, in in all honesty, like, you know, you're one of the best drummers I've ever heard. In, yeah, like honestly, and and, I, and 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 stylistically, you play into my prog rock upbringing. So you know, awesome. like, I've been listening to Bill Bruford play drums since I was ten years old, and you know, like I, when I listen to you play, the I mean, I, I, I could probably talk for two hours about Bill Bruford's playing and how it sort of compares in, in the way you play in a minimalistic idea. Cool. And you, you never noticed Bill Bruford, people, most people would say he was really complex, but it's, it's a sly complex. And it's, uh, you only, I only ever really noticed it when he played for Genesis on mm-hmm. tour and, and he would like, and him and Phil played against each other. It's like this, it was like this Friday night lights whatever that was show, that, show that. that was it's awesome it's from like 77 i think and and they go back and forth and phil you know i forget what song they're playing but like phil's just like i think it was splunk or something and and phil's phil's like doing all phil's and proof it is just but it's what he's doing he's laying is in the so groove. good yeah, yeah yeah and it's 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 groove but he's a jazz drummer with groove and it very much reminds me of where you were at were you listening to because uh, <laughs> you really you're drumming in helmet changed the game in a lot of ways in the early 90s. Well, I mean, thank for, you. For <laughs> and it crossed genres. I will throw you accolades. It, <laughs> it mean, truly crossed genres, though. I listen, mean, Johnny oh. Stiff was our last step, our last guest. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I didn't get a chance to do this. But, <laughs> Definitely not. But, but uh, it, it, it just changed the game for, I mean, so, so when Helmet came out was really when I was sort of coming to fruition. I'm 43 now. Um, I was coming out of thrash. And all that stuff, and and really getting into hardcore and especially noise rock. Right. I, was, I think I, I said this last episode, but I, I was into hardcore for six months, right. <laughs> and I was just like, this this music kind of sucks. I'm not yeah. into it. But it does. It's not that it sucks. It's the community is great, and it just like it doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Right. I, I wasn't moshing or anything. But uh, but yeah, with, with helmet, it was like like just this this fucking monster was playing. It was sick. And like nobody really, maybe Unsane was around like doing noise rock, stuff like that. Uh, and it, I, I had the I, grit I, of New York. Well, I had Helmet, heavily, Unsane, Cop Shoot Cop. Those I bands had, had heavily, the grit exactly. of New York. Cool. I had heavily yeah. got into Swans at that point. Awesome. So when I heard the percussive parts of Helmet, I was like, oh yeah, like this, it's dirty and gritty and, and it has that fucking shitty feeling and like, you know, sort of like meeting Paige. Just kidding. Now he's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Paige when he's drunk, just talking shit. Um, but but yeah, like uh, it it was a game changer. So we, uh, in my head, when I listen to you play drums back then, and even now with battles, especially now with battles. But were you listening to a lot of hip hop? Oh, big time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I assumed you were just because the grooves are so deep and so thick. The, the, the idea of playing heavy music with that sort of groove was it, it's like every every part's a mosh part but it's like not like the dumb mosh part it's like it may it, it's well, this, New York this is what hip-hop did. i well, yeah but it was played by cavemen right and exactly. you were playing with groove and technique right exactly well, exactly i mean well thank you yes first I, hey, of all um i guess um it's really just at the end of the day it's really just bottom that's, that's kind true. of all it is okay okay fair enough yeah Okay, it comes and bottom and uh, Could we bottom go now? like yeah, basically that's it. All right, thanks. I mean, bottom just was a uh, kind of a like a, a a meathead dude from the Midlands who listened to like James Brown. So like, and he he understood that, and he was just to me he was kind of the first person to do that. So and he made it big and heavy. Yeah. And complicated without being complicated. Whenever exactly, I listen to Black right. Dog, I'm always confused by that song. Well, he doesn't have time, and it blows your mind compared yeah. to the riff. Because yeah. 
you instinctively follow the riff, and then you're like, oh, he's totally doing a half. Yeah, he, time he finds the one just yep. like in really weird spots. Exactly. Like, it's yeah, and it's super. Like it, it reminds me a little bit, uh, also like on a really different level, but Mashuga, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Tomas, who was here actually, uh, did did a listening party, and he's a really nice guy, and uh, like he kind of plays like the way that you did, play around the riff. You know what I mean? Like, like, right. like you're you're playing. You're not. You're not like matching it perfectly, but you're not. It's like it, you find the one in weird places, right? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, a lot of helmet was the um, cyclical sort of thing going on, or like where the riff is really the guitar riff is in a completely different time than the than the drums, or vice right. versa. Right. So, and again, that's to me, that's just kind of that's just straight up ACDC or or the stop and go Zeppelin. riffage is definitely ACDC in a yeah. way, but. Rhythmically, you did something so different than that, and it made it like a loop. But like I also think that the, it was it, it was the, it's the presentation of it. So the scene that it was being played to, right? And the people that were hearing it were not really ter- like. It's like, why does it sound familiar? Well, it kind of has a Led Zeppelin thing, and it kind of has an ACD right. thing. But it's like fucking vicious. Well, you know? I do think <laughs> yeah, that I mean, as hard. corny as corny as it sounds, I do think that Helmet really was a product of of New York at that time and of specifically of downtown. It's def- that's why and I mentioned really the does, grid I mean, of it's New York. everybody lives in, it's very like Lower East Side. Yeah. And I know that's like a really played out term to say. No, but it's it, true. It's, it's kind of soundtrack. true. I don't think that we would have sounded that way because I mean, a lot of it is like, it's the lyrics, it's the, you know, um, it's just the, the stress of living during that time. And yeah, you almost get the feeling on, like so. Paige is barking. He's screaming at people in the street. Or at us, or yeah, 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 yeah. Or, yeah. But th- that time frame had a a vibe that came through. I mean, it could be anything from like you guys and surgery to even like early prong. It just had a dirtiness to it. Unsane, right. swans, all right. that stuff. Cops, you cop, well, definitely. I'll say quicksand too. I mean, it, but early quicksand for sure. Before for sure, it yeah. got, I think, I think a quicksand little more also, polished and studio sounding. I mean, I know, I know for sure that there was a lot of hip hop being thrown around in right. that world too. Like, yeah. Right. It's all that groove stuff, and the way and that a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it too, was back then. It seemed like um, it wasn't all those scenes were still sort of merged together. It wasn't like these completely separate worlds, like it, it played is the same now, clubs. sort of. Yeah, it's everyone like, played yeah. CBs. Yeah, know. yeah, like everyone hung you know, out at CBs. Gangstar came and checked out Helmet. I was like, this is crazy. Like Guru is. That is crazy. Show. So did you ever like, wow. do any? Did you ever do besides the? Is it Judgment Night? Yeah, Judgment right? Night. Yeah, Helmet House of Pain, right? Yep. Yeah. Was that the biggest Helmet song? Mm, no, the, it was big. Yeah. Um, Meantime was probably bigger, right? I mean, um, yeah. Like sales wise, or yeah. Like um, it, no, I mean Meantime went gold in the right. US, so um, I don't know how many. I just mean as, yeah, as a song, like it, I it, think, yeah, we got a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah, sure. there's a lot yeah. of video play for that song. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when MTV mattered. We did it um, in two sections. Like they came to, they were on tour, and they came to New York, and we recorded it um, at Warden Tears' place. And then um, nice. we finished it when we were in LA, and we actually got to play it live several times with them. That was really cool. We did it in Sapporo, Japan. It was pretty awesome. Is um, any of that on YouTube? Anything? Is it documented? I don't know. I've never, I've never searched for it. That would be worth checking out. We did it enough times where I'm sure somebody filmed it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That's cool. So did you really ever, cool did Helmet ever tour with a straight hip-hop band? No. No. Okay. No. Even mixed shows? Like, booked? Um, Rage Against the Machine was as close as it got, right? Yeah, we, we just played one show with them. Oh, I thought you did a whole tour with them. No. Oh, okay. That was New Year's Eve in Detroit 
And that was actually Don Caballero opened up that. Oh my god! It was Don Caballero, <laughs> Helmet, Rage Against the Machine. In Who's like, now your guitarist? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brains were melting in the nineties. <laughs> sometime I f- totally forget when that was. Was it was Rage huge at the time? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Like first record Rage. Yeah. Like just. I can just imagine. Right I can just imagine the, the Rage yeah. Against Machine fans at that time. Like you know when when things went total Guido style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. When, when all the when all the like the kids on Long Island with the nice cars and the slick back hair were like. With that nine, was a weird time to live in suburbia. Machine. It was, it was very lowest common denominator. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can imagine yeah. seeing Don Cab and being like, what the fuck yeah. is this? It's a really Ian had, way like, to say uh, Ian had 15 coats on, and <laughs> every song he would take a coat off, and it was like ridiculous. Yeah. And they were getting shit thrown at them. And this is like in a, in a, a like an arena. It was like a wow. really big show. Like, like a, it was like a 20,000 person arena. It was like Joe Louis Arena. So they were out of their element big, even more big. than you were. Because oh, you yeah, guys yeah, at yeah, that yeah, point yeah, yeah, yeah. could cross over to those people. Yeah. This was like Wait, lowest common denominator, go. Detroit, New Year's Eve, 90s, like <laughs> oh my God. insane I, clown posse. Like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably amazing. It was pre-Juggalo yeah. show. Yeah, Pre, pre-Juggalo. <laughs> I actually met those guys pre-Juggalo. They were... Oh, yeah? We were, Helmut was on tour with, um, man, who was it? Maybe like Faith No More or either... We, it was the Faith No More tour or the ministry tour and we were playing in in Chicago or no I guess it was it was Detroit yeah we we're playing in Detroit and the guys that were setting up the barricade in front of the stage were there were three of them and they were like I just started hanging out with them and then like I think we smoked a joint or something and um, they were like really nice t- totally cool guys and they were like yeah we're in this this rap group insane clown posse and they gave me um they they left and they came back for the show and they gave me like a bunch of twelve inches and t shirts and shit of insane composite. But that, of course they weren't wearing makeup. I'd never heard of them. And nice they were guys. just a local band then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. And I gave it to my friend um, <laughs> who worked Gold, at Atlantic man. Records he, and he was <laughs> just like that this is some the juggle worst shit I've ever heard in my life. So so what you're trying to say <laughs> is that Battles is gonna be on the next gathering of the jugglers. Yeah, yeah. That would be exactly. amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that. And you'd have a lot more stuff thrown at you than Don Cabot oh, yeah. had that night. They would probably throw yeah. car parts at you. Yeah, just do a couple of whoop whoops. Just have it on yeah. the keyboard sample. Whoop 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 whoop. That'd be fucking good. sick. Good idea. I met those guys twice. I'm filled with great ideas, man. Yeah. Let me book battles. You guys will do. You, you'll be yeah. so sick. It'll be like the Sex Pistols tour. <laughs> yeah, you'll be playing Christmas Day. Yeah. That, what's the the video that they have of it? it's like the song is like. It's like everything is beautiful. Oh, miracles. Or, miracles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Magnets. Oh, How do magnets so work? Oh, good, yeah. Fucking magnets. How do they work? <laughs> yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. It's, that video <laughs> is like untouchable. Yep. I mean, yeah. that's the pinnacle of everything. Yeah, and you often wonder, are they kidding? And I, I don't think they are. But oh, I they mean, weren't I then. Don't think now they I'm are, sure no. they cover up and just, but, you know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Put all the parts together. Come on. Come on, man. They have a great wrestling promotion. I will give him that. Oh, yeah, Ron's, JC, big, Ron's a big wrestling guy. Bigger than anyone should be. Next level. <laughs> and uh, I, their wrestling promotion is genius. I saw it in Connecticut, and they were like, it was outdoors with a ring. Had to be 3,000 people there. And they're such smart businessmen. Gene Simmons doesn't have shit on them. Oh, yeah. In between every match, they had one of their artists come out on their label, and he would do two songs. And then they'd be the next match. And this went on all night. And at the end of the night, straight up cash only there were lines from here to that stupid deli you got across the street 
10 different lines waiting for autographs and stuff. The merch guys had a pile of cash, <laughs> five inches high each. Wow. They were banking insane money. I mean. I yeah. actually saw them. I saw because um, uh, Biohazard <laughs> toured with them. Yes, they did. It just and gets it was, Did it, they really? Well, because, yeah. okay, the, <laughs> the second guitarist in Helmet um, was, uh, first was this guy, Peter yeah, from Chris. Australia. Well, Chris is the second, right? No, he's the third. Chris second was, was uh, Rob Echeverria yeah, oh, from right, right, like, Rest in Pieces, Rest in pieces yeah. and Rest in pieces, Straight yeah. Ahead. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Super good friends. He was um, in for like a year, right? Yeah, he was on the Betty record. Right, So okay. like two years, maybe. Yeah. Um, but so he joined Biohazard right after that, and they, yeah, they went on tour with, with Insane Clown Posse. And it was like, I saw them at Roseland. <laughs> and it was like, and I just remember, it, of course, it was a, a total spectacle, but um, the front, like maybe the th- first three or four rows, people had like these tarps over them. It, was, it, it totally reminded me of Gallagher. You're seeing like Gallagher balls. live where, where totally. there's all these people with rainbows so in the front. Because they were worried about getting Fago? Get, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like vats of Fago. <laughs> like, like hoses of it just hosing Roseland down. It was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. They played Gramercy <laughs> and my friend, uh, I believe he's the stage manager, and he said the stuff sticks to everything. Oh, I'm sure. Decays yeah. everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. It's pure sugar. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's gross. A, a I, I, tr- I tried one. I tried one when I was in Detroit. Uh, uh, <laughs> to appease your inner juggler. Just, I had to. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just such a phenomenon. And, I, you know. It definitely is. It, I think Detroit's a lot cooler of a place than Insane Clown Posse. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, it's a bad rap, if you know what I mean. Well, after, I you, mean after you drank the can, the was it a can of Fago? Yeah. Then did you like sort of crush it and poke holes in it and then smoke crystal meth out? That's what I should have done. Okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what a real juggler does. You're, such a, you're a total poser. I need another beer. Damn total it. Total poser. Yeah. I, you're right, Ron. You're I am. supposed Thanks. to do that. <laughs> Just figured I'd remind you. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Did we have the pictures up when, when you were here last, Ron? Um, yes, I did. I did. Yeah. They're awesome. Sorry, John. There's no pictures of battles. Oh. We blew it. Oh, well. Yeah. We didn't even have a, we didn't even have a, a we, we, I, I hung a bunch of flyers in the back and we didn't even have a flyer for the show because it sold out so quick. I said, oh, I realized well. that I was going through all these, these flyers that we have and I'm like, every, every, all the really, really big shows we didn't have flyers for because they sold out in two seconds. Yeah, there was no point. So there was promotion. no point, but there should have been a point. You know, it's like a big band is playing here. We should you document probably, it. Yeah, document yeah. it. Yeah, it was stupid. <laughs> well, I hope you learn something. Well, I got to run a business. It's hard sometimes. You know? <laughs> All these details, you know, I got to keep track of this shit. Anyway, so, Helmet. We're starting at Helmet, doing, uh, strapping on, like, what was, like, did you guys, you just making a record, you friends with, you, were you friends with the guys in the band, or, like? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, um, you know, started, um, like, in just a very innocent way. We, we, they put an ad, Paige and the original guitarist, Peter Mengede put an ad uh, in later the Village Handsome, Voice, which was right, exactly. a great yeah. band that Tom Capone played in. And, right. Uh, um, and the, the nephew of Glenn Branca? Or, or yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. The singer is like... Jeremy. Yeah. yeah his uncle is Glenn Branca. He oh, was later in that. Jets Brazil. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that, though. But we, it, we started with, uh, in the Village Voice, believe it or not, but that's kind of where, that's where all the... I mean, as soon as I moved here, I answered every ad in the village voice that was the lifeline to the city then oh yeah I mean, it was really it, weird we had to it was pay like, for it outside of new york city yeah oh wow it wasn't okay. free yeah we have to go to the local stationery and buy it i'd go in there every wednesday and read it as fast as i could before they kicked me out <laughs> uh, right. Being like who's playing cbs who's playing limelight and right then they're like get out but here. there actually were like tons of classified yeah. ads like oh, a yeah. lot and you know i would I just go and too. meet people yeah. and you know half the time it's like it would be terrible and, and it's the very first 
audition, I guess, I ever went to was um, this group, The Devil Dogs, which is... Oh, garage punk band. Yeah. Yeah, and dudes from... It wasn't a, a token entry. It was Gilligan's... Gilligan's Revenge. Yeah, I think Pre-token it was guys entry. from Gilligan's Revenge. Wow. And it was like weird rockabilly surf kind of stuff. Devil and it, Dogs it was, are like... They want crypt records. They put yeah, out like kind of garagey punk kind of stuff. <laughs> they play Continental like every month. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. very oh Continental God. band. But I... Um, <laughs> That was, yeah, that was the first, like, ad that I answered. And so it was you tried in, out for them. Yeah, that was in 1988, and it was in the winter, and it was, like, somewhere, like, deep in Brooklyn. It was, like, really, I was just like, wow, like, where am I? Like, it was really weird. Out of your element completely. Totally, yeah, it was, like, three stops on the L, or four stops on the L, or something. Which back was, then like, was, like, 1988. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, what? Different world. Yeah. Completely But they were really, world. really nice. In fact, it was funny, because they were just, like, I remember um, they, they had toured Europe, so I was like, wow, that's, oh man, I, I'm just dying to tour Europe. That's all I cared about was I just wanted to tour Europe for some weird reason, yeah. And, um, you had they were just been like, there, I guess, at no, the time? right. And they, they, uh, they were just like, man, you don't, they're like, you, you don't want to be in this band. They're like, <laughs> I was like, what, did I, did I do Is wrong? it that obvious? Is it, yeah, they're like, nah, you know, get out of here, kid. Like, <laughs> but uh, they were super, super nice. Really, really funny. I used guys. to see them. They were, they were like a staple of Continental. They played there like it seemed like every week or two. So yeah, I, mean, I they, saw them. There were lots of those bands, times. weren't there? Yeah. Who, who played? Who played the Continental like every week? Um, um, Simon ah. and Bar Sinisters. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm friends with Simon. I knew. I knew you'd have an answer for that one. I mean, he played literally every week. He probably played there 300 times. <laughs> He's a great guy. But I, so I would I would answer some of these ads and then it it happened pretty quick. I mean I I uh, met I think Paige came to my house and bought my roommate's guitar and just one thing led to another and um, we actually had a different bass player at first. We had the bass player from a Long Island band called Phantom Tollbooth. Oh my God, they're <laughs> from shit. they're from a, a mile from me. Wow, they're from Plainview and they yeah, had a few records Jerry, on Homestead. I think the bass player. I think his name was Jerry. So what? Uh, Those what? guys grew up with Andy from Killer Idols. Oh really? Yeah, they're uh, one of our close friends. And um, yeah, they were just like two or three years older than me, and they were doing more of a post-punk right. '80s version of what you'd call indie rock. Right. Now. And they were great actually, and they had a few records on Homestead. Right. Yeah. So Homestead he was in records. the band. That he was in the band for him? a second. For like, okay. I mean, it was probably for, too hard to get into the city from playing. I don't. I don't remember what it, happened. I, I can relate. I think. <laughs> I mean, it was like maybe three rehearsals, maybe four rehearsals, something like that. And then um, I, I, I totally forget why it didn't work out. And then, um, and then we met Henry, who walked in with an eight-string bass, and uh, uh, wow. it was just like really weird. It was, uh, what the <laughs> he fuck? He had dreads, he had like really <laughs> fucked up dreads, and uh, an eight-string bass. And he just was like, on some would, different level. Oh yeah, it's really X. quiet, like not talking at all. It was really weird. Yeah. So so uh, what? Yeah. All right. So so you're explaining a little bit what early helmet rehearsals were right. like. And so we rehearsed a little bit, then wrote four did, songs. Did, did Page like was Page just like rolling in with like, hey man, I got I got this fucking song and like check it out. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Right off the bat, he was like, this is the deal, kind of. You know, and it's were those songs on Born Annoying, the first single. The early ones you were writing? Or did you scrap Yeah, yeah, those? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which later came out, the, the, all those songs came out, there was a cassette demo that was the very first thing. It was like four songs, I think. Then we went, and we recorded it, I think we recorded it at uh, at Don Fury. This, oh, the first seven inches is at Don Fury's. Don, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't the helmet that. demo, slash first seven inch. Yeah, it's done at Don, Don Fury's. Um, and, and I don't even remember why we, I think did it's just because like. Did you record it, like, did he have the bubble at that point? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. All the ADAT. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking ADATs. Yeah. I have his original board. I have his. Do you uh, really? Yeah. He had two 12 channel Kelsey's that he combined together. The one he did with, um, like, he did uh, Age of Quarrel and, and all, like, like, you know, whatever, all the. The all classic those. stuff. I, th- I would say he had that. He probably had it during that recording as well. It was two, two 12 channel boards together. And, and he just chained them together. Yeah, he chained yeah, them together. Wow. And I got one of them. And I got his one-inch machine as well wow. that, he, uh, that he recorded all that stuff with. And I sold it to Max Bernstein, um, who plays guitar for Kesha and whatnot. He's, he lives in L.A. He's an awesome, awesome kid. Uh, kid. He's probably 40 now. And, uh, and <laughs> uh, I still yourself. have the board. I never sold wow. it. It's, I'm, I'm waiting to That's sell awesome. it to some Japanese hardcore guy or something yeah. you know, for like a million dollars. Okay, so Don Fury's first recording. You guys are getting So is Peter in the band yet? So oh yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah, for Peter. sure. Yeah, no, he, he was definitely yeah. Okay. So we, we we the the lineup was solidified, um, and then we did that Don Fury seven inch. Then um, everything happened really fast. Then it was like like instantly we were on Amrep somehow. I think we sent the single or no wait, no, what am I saying? Of course, we were on Amrep before that. That that came out on Amrep. Right. We the band got on Infinity Reptile immediately because we sent a demo. We sent the cassette to Twin Tone, which was in the same building as Amphetamine Reptile in Minneapolis. Yeah. And so it was just randomly, we just got a call from this guy and it was just a handshake deal and done like really fast. And we they put the seven inch out, then we did like a dope guns and fucking in the streets. Then we did another seven inch and then we met Wharton Tears at um, Fun City. That yeah. was his studio and it was on 25th Street, I believe. Between and that's first where Strap It On was done. That's right. where Strap It On and Meantime, and meantime. It was okay. recorded. And it's, it's in a basement um, it's like recorded in like a hallway in the basement. It was really weird. Like the the uh, the sounds that that guy got out of like a basement. Of, uh, he was the super of a building. So uh, it, yeah, it was incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, killer. And then that it, everything just happened really fast. Is after he that. still there? No, no, no. no? I think he moved to Brooklyn. He's uh, a in long Brooklyn because uh, my friend does some stuff with him now. Yeah, and Don Fury apparently he's is in, in Troy. Albany. Troy, yeah. Oh, Troy, okay. Yeah. Close enough. But so he has his own studio there. Yeah, yeah. He wow, moved okay. to Coney Island first and then uh and then he moved uh, up to Troy wow. after that. Yeah, he he does a lot of he does a lot of like uh, international hardcore bands. You know, they uh, okay. they come in for the for the Don Fury, you know, it's like this sound. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh Don Fury, I play New York hardcore style, I'll go to Don Fury. Right. But uh yeah, I I did a lot of records with Don. I, nice. I love Don. I love I uh, that studio was just the funniest thing ever. I mean, for a kid from Long Island, yeah. just the getting there and then fucking parking, it'd just be like, you know, with everybody <laughs> from Long Island with the parking. Yeah, and then yeah. all the weird pictures of him from like the late 70s, like oh, yeah, with super Don, new wave. Donnie like, and the Furies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Donnie yeah. Fury and the something or others. I forget he used to have really at. crazy parties. Like, oh, really crazy. He we lived, can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. He lived with Twisted Sister in Long Island. Oh, and he told me that. That's right. Yeah, they, yeah, him and D were apparently best friends back then. And when Twister was still a club band, this being Road Dogs, uh, he lived with them. I think in Massapequa. It's in D's autobiography. It's Don originally. Don mind. might originally be from Long Island. I'm not sure where he's from, but um, he definitely lived with them in Massapequa at the time. Yeah, was, we used to we used to say that he got gay drunk. That was, oh, yeah. that was Don. Oh yeah, yeah. guys, <laughs> let's go get some sake. Well, we say he he would turn into Danita Fury. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He this relentlessly yeah, one time, no, hit yeah, on my he, girlfriend. He, uh, uh, he did that um, once, twenty times right in front of he me. He came to see us somewhere, and he like slipped into that character and wouldn't leave for like the entire rest of the evening. It was just like, it's like, all right, yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> amazing, dude. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, like that that area back then, it was such a. It was so weird uh, being there. Is for me at least. I, I mean, I think the first record I did with him, I was maybe nineteen or twenty, and uh, just you know, like it was scary that yeah. uh, Spring Street back then yep. was. You know, you didn't leave Don's studio. Maybe yeah. you went to the deli, but that was an experience. Yeah. You know, because there was so much drugs being dealt outside and and this crazy shit going on. It's like, and the parking. God, the fucking parking. <laughs> My girlfriend lived on Spring Street at the time, so I was I was used to it. Yeah, I'm, but yeah, uh, I, it was definitely a trip. It's a trip now to go there. It's, well, I think it's, it's like a, a restaurant or something. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I it was, between, being, it was on Spring between Elizabeth and whatever the Mott, right? Yes. Yeah. It was by Mott for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was between Elizabeth and Mott because I used to always park, find parking on Elizabeth. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, that, it's just it's so crazy to think about how much that's changed. And I, I mean, I remember when a bar opened over there, and it was the early '90s, and it was like, what? They're crazy. They're opening a bar over here, and you walk in, and you'd be like, wow, this place is great. It's like, of course, it's a pretty smart idea, actually. Yeah, we, then, we we rehearsed. Dang. I lived on Mott between Houston and Prince, um, and because Henry lived in an apartment there since I think the early '80s, so he was like, you know. Henry used to see John Gotti every day, like walking around, <laughs> little Italy, like yeah. doing the walk yeah. and talk in with some other guy, like under under an umbrella or something. Like um, every single day, he would see him. And it, so it, I uh, and we would rehearse across the street um, in a building with uh, there was like five levels below ground, and it used to be a morgue during the Civil War. So wow! It was, it was across the street on Mott, and it was um, we shared a room with Sonic Youth. Um, and I think Prong was down there, Boss Hog, and I think Sick of It All was down there for a minute. That's, um, um, that's pretty impressive. Like way, way below ground. And um, so I just remember that uh, I spent a lot of time in Little Italy in like 89, 90, that era. So, and it's, so I got to see still, you know, the, the, like the Ravenite Social Club like existed then. Wow. You know, uh, yeah, it was totally, completely different. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's yeah. totally cool. I'm I'm glad I got to experience it though. You know, yeah, it's like for sure. it's it's uh you know even like going from there walking to CBs yep. and it's that whole thing for a kid my age who had never been uh, really spent a lot of time in the city because we just we weren't allowed to go. Right. You know, you know, if we grew up on Long Island, it's just like you're not going to the city. Your, your parents your parents never go. Yeah, wouldn't you never. sneak out of the house and? Yeah, that's what we did. I mean, yeah. CBs yeah. had mandates or else. That was half the reason everyone could get there. Right. Because you could still be home by 9 o'clock. Right. Yeah. Every other show didn't even start till 11. Except it was fucking stupid and people were being brought out bloody and it was dumb. And so you just take the <laughs> Long Island Railroad, sure, yeah. right? You t- jump on the Long Island Railroad or drive. Yeah. yeah. Well, my jump friend would drive Railroad. usually. and uh, Walk to the 6 train. Or we would yeah. do that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, in hindsight, those are all amazing memories. But in, in, in the moment, it was amazing too. But you look back and things that you accepted as normal then were fucking crazy. Yeah. But you're younger. I, I mean, I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care at the time that things were whatever. I actually prefer it and miss it, as weird as it sounds, as an older person, because some of it doesn't make sense in a common sense way. But uh, things are so there, bland a, and stale look, yeah, now. There's an attraction. Yeah. There's, you know, Don't call my place bland and stale. Listen. I just <laughs> mean your club. I love there's, your club. There, there's an attraction to the chaos. Especially Definitely. when you're younger. But when you get older, you know, I always say, like, the, the scene thing is, like, it's for kids. It's a youth culture. And, and uh, uh, the music is eternal, and you can love the music forever. Right. But this, the being really heavily part of a scene is definitely a youth culture. And you eventually you stop going as much. And, like, I don't, like, I grew up in the Long Island hardcore scene. I couldn't fucking tell you what the fuck's going on. I mean, I haven't lived there in 20 years, but still, you know, it's like, 
I'm sure there's some cool shit going on. I don't know about it. Right. It's not my fucking job to know about it. It's some 20 year old. If your band was located there, though, you would still know. Because through that, but if you're not in a band and you're older, then you can't help but feel detached because there's people that could be your son standing next to you. Try the other, like, I, I have no yeah. problem. So everyone was 15. I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I, I, I have no problem not knowing every single thing that's going on tonight. Oh, yeah. It's like, impossible. I'm totally anyway. cool with that. Yeah. Like, it's sort of part of, still part of my life. I, I ha- kind of has to be, but, but uh, on a different level. Right. And, and I feel like, like this place, we provide a place that I, can, I, I don't know if I can find a comparison for back then of where we wanted to play, but like we, when we would play in the city, we'd be like, oh, this, we'd play CBs and, and whatnot. And it's cool to have kids in bands on Long Island be like, oh, I want to play your place. You right. know, it's yeah. like, cool, awesome, come. Get the fuck off Long Island. Come, please. Yeah. Please, just for a day. Where are we going to park? <laughs> what about the parking? God I can't damn. believe that's an issue. I mean, oh, always with bands from upstate. Remember when Toxic played here? Yes. God, you, you ever you ever met a band Toxic, John? No. I've never heard of them, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were like a sick thrash band. It was on uh, Metal Blade. And, Roadrunner. Uh, Roadrunner, sorry. Yeah, yeah. World Circus. And, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, and uh, they, like, they, they were from upstate, and they couldn't... I mean, I must have gotten fucking 10 emails about the parking. I was like, guys, just fucking show up. Come on. You're Toxic. I saw you yeah. open for King Diamond and Sepultura. Oh, at, the Red talking about like, a van? Yeah. Like, where are they going to park their cars. van? They yeah, cars. They cars. It's always, always with the fucking. Oh, is there a parking lot? Like you know, when you when you drive <laughs> to the city, like and you go to CB's. If you, especially if you play it, it'd be like I don't want to leave my van. You know, but you know, CB's let you park in front if you. If you're you, loading you, and unloading. Yeah, yeah, or even just you just sit there. Right. You know, but so luckily, somebody's you, in the you car. have a bus stop in front of your club. Yeah, so they can't do it. So whatever, fuck you. But like the fucking, the parking, the parking endlessly with the parking. Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> so. Moving on. So now, Helmet Does Meantime. Things fucking blow up. You're on Interscope. Jimmy Iovine's up your ass. Is it Was Jimmy even at the fucking label at that time? He was, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jimmy. Uh, hi, me. Hey, guys. <laughs> did you do uh, any U.S. tours with Strap It On? Or did you? Oh, yeah. 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 The I first tour you, 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 you ever did. Full on, if I remember right. We, did, we toured before Strap It On. Even so you, got, you yeah. guys were like full on. Were you working in like at a vegan restaurant or some shit in between? Or no, well, like- let's see. Back then, I was lucky enough where I had a really good job at an advertising agency, and then I, then they. At first, I was like a messenger there, like a foot messenger, which is the still the greatest job I've ever had because it was just like you could just smoke weed all day and, and walk just around. walk around midtown manhattan with like your walkman on and just like <laughs> and there was no like give me that job please there wasn't now. um they were so like relaxed and you could take like an hour and a half to deliver like one little envelope like they just totally didn't care <laughs> no it's pressure. the uncle of a really good friend of mine so it was like it was on the 98th just like, just floor like helmet hadn't hit. john standard would still be a messenger, <laughs> messenger. yeah <laughs> i would I liked it that so much. much weed that you had no fucking motivation. You're just like, I could do. I'm gonna do this forever, man. Do I don't see? I have an iPod now. Yep. And I would be listening to podcasts. Yes. Well, yeah. That's yep. That's what I do. <laughs> but uh, I had that job for a minute, and then, but he actually then paid for me to go to school of visual arts and uh, like night classes, and then I then I went back there and worked in his art department. He's a really great guy. So I started working, doing graphic arts, like paste-up stuff. And then I also did um, a magazine called Rockpool, which turned into CMJ. Oh, okay. okay. So I was, the, like, the only art person there. Like, the wow. art director, the, the layout, everything. So, 
Um, it, you mean so, those free color booklets that they used to like give out whenever there was a um, whenever CMJ was in town? They'd always have a booklet with all the bands. Well, in this it was probably like, pre-fest. This is like the uh, yeah. when, the, when they Late just had 80s, the College Music Journal and they did the they this did is the like charts and stuff. New music seminar yeah. era. Yeah, it's basically just charts uh, from around the country of yeah. what college radio DJs are playing. They had a lot of people of, who like now write for Rolling Stone and stuff who worked for CMJ early on, like uh, John Wiederhorn and. Uh, People like that. I believe You're it. Thinking. I mean, yeah, I think you it want turned someone into CMJ. that knows yeah. what's up, you know, yeah. as opposed to someone. Rock Pool just... sounds familiar, but I, I, yeah, it's so. But so, they were cool because they would let me leave, basically. So, so and, they and the ad agency, right? Okay. Those guys, everyone else, you know, were bartenders or uh, I don't know. I forget what Henry did. Um, but, so you all had flexible schedules. Oh no, Henry worked tour. for Frank Stella, the artist. Oh okay. Who also let him wow. leave, and he let us store his our stuff in his studio on Thirteenth Street. Um, so we all had like really cool jobs where they would let us leave and of course as a bartender you can uh, Paige could leave and the Lower East Side was still cheap to live in exactly yeah, yeah yeah totally, totally cheap totally doable and we kind of immediately started touring like we we started touring the very first tour we ever did was before Strap It On and it was with the Melvins seven of us in one van we shared equipment ouch and it was like coast to coast tour um, yeah, but dude, with the Melvins, that's awesome. It was incredible. Yeah, it, it was. Is that like Osma? Bullhead. Yeah, 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 Osma. It was, yeah. It was Osma. It was such a one of a kind band, man. Oh it's yeah, like, I, it was like the first tour we ever did was with them, and the last tour we ever did was with the Melvins, <laughs> and then a couple in between. But the very first tour we did was um, Dale, Buzz, and Tom from Boner Records was playing bass. Tom, I don't remember him being in the band. Flynn, I think. Was it he was in the band? Right after it was after Lorax. Oh, okay. Or in between. Because, yeah, then, then I saw them. We played another show with them, and she was playing with them. So, But that was a, um, a pretty amazing tour. It was seven people in. It wasn't even a 15-passenger van. It was, like, the small, like the smallest van there is. And, like, we had to share equipment. I had to, like, the whole drum set just had single heads on the tom so they could all, like, fit into, like, all the drums had to fit into the <laughs> into bass each drum. Other. Yeah. Okay. That's great. <laughs> um, and it was, like, in the winter, I think, and it was just just like reckless routing uh like the worst like you know john it was you, you shouldn't feel too bad you know who else played without bottom heads the greatest drummer of all time um who phil collins ah okay good good greatest drummer I of all time. good company yeah yes yeah, so there you go you got that, I didn't know you got that. those thunder toms bro <laughs> that was just for that tour then <laughs> okay. i graduated well, did you play cbs and maxwell's here on that tour yep that's what exactly. I imagine. That's totally. We, yeah, we did. Um, I think we played CBs. Um, CBs. Yeah, and then the show the the in Hoboken at Maxwell's. And yeah. at this point, are you guys selling out all the shows? And um, no, that was no, not at all, not at all. In fact, I saw we you played. That um, era and it was it was so weird. We we played like Portchester, okay, in a bar in Portchester to like three, maybe four people. Who the hell the would Melvins. know Melvin's there? I know. And then we played <laughs> in, um, I think, Asbury well, three, Park. I guess. Um, Asbury I guess Park, three. maybe. <laughs> to, again, about 15 people, maybe. 10 wow. to 15 people. I, I well, think Asbury, it was Asbury Park, Park was a wasteland back then. Yeah, it was somewhere in Jersey, and Melvin's just played the same song. I think they played Oven, like, 20 times in a row and just left. <laughs> And just infuriated everybody, That's and just incredible. like it, it was That's pretty so bad. That's so good. That's yeah. so good. I love it. And then I think we played CBs. That I, I forget. But it, the tour ended in um, I got appendicitis driving from Vancouver to Calgary in the middle of a blizzard, and um, oh, I got appendicitis. 
So I, and then I was in the hospital for like 10 days in Calgary and everybody else just drove back. And luckily you were in Canada. So they get the operation for free. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Good timing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to have appendicitis, have it there. Yeah. That's the place. Beautiful. Very savvy of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very savvy of your insides. Fantastic. But it was almost at the very, very end of the tour. So, but it was just really crazy routing everywhere. Sleeping on people's floors, sleeping in squats, um, siphoning gas, Oh, you're fucking a lot kidding of that. me. Yeah. Wow. There was just like no money whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Bleak, um, bleak stuff. Shows being canceled. Yeah, it was like very, very, very So fun. when did when did the when did the change happen? When because I know I know this feeling it only happened to me because I I got older and I just refused to sleep on people's floors anymore. Right. But like they the with the whole thing where you like you get your first hotel room tour, yeah. you're like, What the fuck? Yeah. You guys probably just went right to a bus and had day rooms, right? I would guess. No, 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 no. We we um it was very, very gradual. It was like, you know, then then you know the then we rented a proper van. Then we're not sh- sharing the van with another band. Then we're now we're sharing hotel rooms. Like you know, it starts out with one hotel room, then it's two motel six rooms. Then you know, and it just like escalated. And I feel like Helmet definitely was like by the books. Like um, everything happened slowly but fast at the same time. It was everything made sense. Did so. you feel the effects of when Nirvana hit? Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing about that is that um, I think that there's this weird misconception that um, like Nirvana came out of nowhere and just like totally changed the game. And then all of a sudden, well, at least on a major label level. Yeah, but I mean, okay, first of all, I think that that was really strategically planned big time. Um, We're getting some dirt. No, no, not not in a bad way, but I mean, that, I know, you know, they were, they were, they were, it's kind of like, it's that not too. like as like, yo, we just recorded this record and, and everybody liked this one song and then the next thing you know, we're on, it's like, it's, it's not that simple. Right, it's like, course. they but definitely, it's a good story. yeah, they were, they were going for it. For sure. Right. And things were bubbling for a while. I mean, you had like the Fishbone, Jane's Addiction, Chili Peppers thing, like this alternative thing, for lack of a better word was happening and then you had the sub hop touch and go and rep stuff right so it's not like Nirvana came literally out of nowhere right and, and the also right, band, right the before right, sound, right, the right, right before Nirvana there was like remember that like Who's was on a major label yep. I think um, who else like, well Soundgarden was well the was Minneapolis Soundgarden Soul Sound those bands Sorry, yeah. were petering out by then I mean yeah. he went he was doing Price Sugar by that point Bob there were definitely some so we, we were talking to majors before Nirvana Right, but like right before it, like like months before it, we, yeah. like we met. Um, I don't know, I, like Warner Brothers or someone came to a show and was like, you know, and you guys ever think about something? How did they want to market you? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't remember any of that. But it's like, but then you know, it, it literally where did you being, fit in the the mainstream sense at that nowhere. time? I, that, I mean, I mean, you didn't belong there. No, at I know. The time, yeah, you know, and it was, but it pre Nirvana. So, in a way, it okay. I'm saying that that the Nirvana thing was pretty strategic. It, they were definitely like I think that they were going for it, but they didn't really know that it was going to blow up the way that it did. But right. the whole like, um, um, I mean, they said their goal was to be a, Sonic Youth level, which sounds believable, I guess. Yeah, to maybe a little bit higher thousand. than that, maybe. Yeah, but but uh, and then there was stuff happening right before that. Um, but but you know, in reality, it, it is still true though that of course, smells like Teen Spirit was on the radio. You would hear it once, sometimes twice an hour on yeah. tour, it on the radio, everywhere. and every channel, like, and it was ridiculous. And then literally it was the next couple months, it was just like every single show was, once the, we started doing this like bidding war, it was, it was just on. It was ridiculous. We were in like Time Magazine. Um, we were in Time it was, Magazine? Yeah. And it was strange because 
the second Helmet show ever, we opened up for Nirvana at the Pyramid Club oh, on Avenue A. Right? Uh, I don't remember. It was I was supposed unsane. to go there, and I, I didn't make it. I, but it was, and they were touring, in a, they were touring in a station wagon. <laughs> they were touring in a station wagon with the tiniest, and they were so bad. Were, this is before Grohl, so it was the, the yeah, first Chad, summer. Uh, it was yeah. way before yeah. Grohl, yeah. yeah. So this, our second show ever was uh, at the Pyramid. At the fucking Pyramid. I'm pretty sure that was oh. the And they were like, I just remember they were, um, they were walking around barefoot on Avenue A, and I was just like, what are you doing? I was like, man, you can't. You got, they're like walking over to go eat at like sidewalk or something, and they were all barefoot. I'm like, dudes, like, it's the <laughs> there's glass everywhere. Yeah, it's that. like glass is the best case scenario. Yeah, you don't yeah, even wear fucking flip flops. I don't want to beat people up when I see them wearing flip flops. I mean, they had like you know <laughs> Hobbit feet or something <laughs> like, from years of secrets uh, walking barefoot. But it, but it, so in the course of man, it. it it's hard to remember a lot from back that, that long ago, but it seems like within two years, we went from, we opened up for Nirvana at the Pyramid, then Smells Like Teen Spirit happened, and then we opened for Nirvana again at the, the Seattle, uh, where the Sonics play. Oh, wow. wow. At the, the, by the, the Space Needle. It's the Enormo yeah. Dome or something. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> that, so and that was in like, within two years. It was like really surreal. That's crazy. That's cool. I mean, that's quick to go from... A to Z like that? Yeah, they went, so, so they went from the pyramid to the the, the Seattle Center. I was already yeah. into uh, them when um, they played the pyramid. I didn't go that night, and then, um, but that happened so fast. And I knew it, I, I went to the record store. He would know it slipped disc to buy the Nirvana record the day it came out, and it was on when we walked in. And I looked at the girl behind the counter. I said, "Is this the new Nirvana?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was like, "They're gonna take over the world with this song." Yeah, it smells like Teen Spirit. I was like, "This is." The game changer. You could just oh, yeah. feel it. Yeah, it was really slick. It was yeah, just, you know, everybody it had just balls, ate it up. But it yeah. was slick, and it was just. And then it's just really then. So so once the, there was this bidding war, then it was um, it was ridiculous. Where they were like people were meeting us at like in it, it literally was like limos picking us up and taking us like after sound check and taking us to like some the most expensive restaurant in town and some dude talking to you from you know. Um, from BMG or whatever, yeah, like uh, whatever it, it was major. really really weird. And then we met them. We met a lot of people in LA and in New York. I met um, Amit Aragon, who's really really cool. We went oh, to awesome. Atlantic, yeah, of and course. it was uh, into oh. the conference room. We met like the whole Atlantic team. He's a big part of the Yes story. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was super super nice. Awesome, wow, really, that's really cool. cool guy. And it was like everyone else was just like totally clueless. Like just I was like, yeah. man, you don't you guys like oh, they it was know. very. Um, 80s like like rat like vibe. hair metal vibe I yeah it was like still definitely very very like commercial like and and the reason that we signed to Interscope is because they were like they were just talk the talk and it was like you know all right like they seemed like the coolest people and you know I don't know the closest to knowing to understanding you yeah and world. I think also people like bands from that era that were on major labels they 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 just talk a lot of shit about that that time, but I thought Interscope was awesome. They were super cool oh, They did cool a great people. job with you. They were really yeah. competitive. Yeah. And like, fuck it. Like, you know, why not? I mean, like, they got you, they got your name out there all yeah. big time. Yeah, they were really, you know? really good at I what just they always did. look at that period of like, what were you supposed to say? No. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like, no, I don't want anybody to hear my music. Sorry. You know? <laughs> it was such There's, a surreal time yeah. because all of a sudden, and you Your guys had no, you bands. guys had no affiliation with you know like it wasn't like you had six records out. I mean, remember when Seven Seconds signed to Epic? 
God, they, really? They yeah. did? Uh-huh. Well, Bear Religion was the big Be- signing because they, yeah. they had their own label. They were already very successful. So when they signed to Atlantic, everyone flipped. And then later on when Jawbreaker signed. I mean, there were certain bands that... There were a lot of bands that were just like, there's no reason. What on earth are you... Why did you sign like to Bear Religion is such like, a successful template already. You're selling a yeah. quarter of a million records on right. your own label. Yeah. But I did read did, an interview with the, the singer Greg, money, and he's dude. like... He didn't mention money, actually, because you're only making a quarter of what you would make on your own label. But he's like, our sales doubled. He's like, so he, I mean, I'm paraphrasing his process, but he's, he's like, our sales doubled, if not tripled. He's like, and then it ran its course, and then we kind of went back. But with that, with a band like Bear Religion came a betrayal, because every band that came up on them saw them as the blueprint of how to remain independent and not need them. Yeah. And then... When they signed, it was like, oh, Look, God, the even the bands that we make all know there's, on only, their own terms, there's only one Fugazi, totally. and Fugazi's the only band that's allowed to be Fugazi, and that's it. So, well, yeah, no but, and like, I feel like their, their philosophy like, works for them. It really works for them, but it, it's not going to work for everyone. No. Like the, the Fugazi, not. and, you know, and I, I love Fugazi just like everybody else, but it's like, it's not, that's not going to work for, in the situation that, that I'm in. That's not what I want either. And it's like, so for a minute there, it was like, you had Fugazi or like Pearl Jam and Sonic Youth, like basically just like, like, oh, like ma- being in a major sucks and like I'm not supposed to be, you know, like making money is bad and being big is bad and all this shit. And it's just like, man, they were you know, already for a popular minute, like, though, you know? It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, so well, that- Pearl Jam weren't popular. They came from nowhere pretty much. I mean, they were in previous bands, but when they well, were talking about. had a record deal. They yeah, but, deal. And, um, they- but the Green River guys. They came from sub pop, basically. I mean, they were around a little bit, but Pearl Jam as a band were brand new. And then they signed, the label made them big immediately, and they complained immediately. Right. It's like, well, yeah. six months ago, no one knew who you were. Yeah, and then you sold a million records and you're complaining. It just well, seemed There was insincere. so much money being thrown around in the 90s that it was easy for people to complain when they were making tons of money and, and doing. Like, I, I think you took for granted the fact that you could live as a musician. You know, it's yeah. like, like, whereas now, it's. It's really, really, really fucking well, it's hard. Damn near if not impossible, impossible here, in yeah. New York. Right. You have to live somewhere like Detroit. Or well, we we got a lot of affordable. shit for like, you know, um, just like saying yes and signing on the dotted line for like it was. It, I think uh, supposedly we were the first million dollar signing from the underground. Right. It was like one point two million. There was the first time ever. Like I don't, Nirvana didn't even sign for that. So, um, which I have trouble like believing that i think someone else did before us i'm I'm not really sure but it's like so people were just like you know how dare you and this you know, fuck you and like we got a lot of backlash for that wow. but, the, but the sound didn't change i mean when mean time came out it was still as mean and rough as i mean as it recorded in the same place it's recorded right. in tears yeah it's like and i feel like no matter what you it, I, I was just like threw my hands up like man you know no, we're definitely now a little bit bigger than we were and it's like so amrep is not like disapproves kind of like people from that world because we're not mm-hmm. a seven inch band anymore. Now we're on this like major label and it's like, I'm, I'm cool with that. That's what I want. So it's just like, you know, there are the sacrifices that you have to yeah. deal with. And one of them is not being like the coolest thing on the block anymore. So, you know, yeah. to, like, super, super, but hip. being just being cool, pay the bills and not right, for exactly. everybody. Right. You know, it's right. everybody, Jay Robbins. I once had a conversation with Jay Robbins. I was recording with my old band, air type 11. And he came by cause he knew John and yellow, the producer and whatnot. And I like, I worship Jawbox and Jay is great dude. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah he's great. He's actually playing here uh, in October. And, is 
Yeah, and he was I'm, really good in government issue. I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he was. Yeah. So, so Jay, like, this you know, Jawbox was done with Atlantic or whatever, and and uh, they had a really bad experience on a major, right. and and I was just they're a band that didn't get any extra sales out of right. being on a major. I mean, they maybe, got less popular because they actually lost people. Yeah, I mean, well, and coming from Discord, it's kind of hard, but like maybe yeah. maybe that like maybe they probably did increase their sales honestly at the end of the day, but they just it, you know when you're when you do that deal and it's like, and you don't become helmet size, you know what I mean? You're just like, you're still here. Right. It it's almost, a failure. It, it's a failure. Exactly. And, and uh, although I don't think anybody of my peers would look at Jawbox as a failure because they got to make these great records and, 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 you know, we get, we got to see videos with them in, in which we would have never seen. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, he was just like, he's like, don't, you know, at the time there was a lot of major labels sniffing around with my band and he was just like, don't, don't do it, man. And I just looked at him and I was like, you know what, dude, you had your experience. Let me have mine. Right. Let me have mine. Cause mine could be different. <laughs> yeah. You know, it could be, it doesn't have to be like that. Right. And, and you know, like, like I, f- I think those guys lost control and that was what they didn't like about it. Cause they were very used to being in, in control of what they were doing. Right. And, and you know, for me, I was like, I always had the mentality that, well, these people work for a major label, so they must know what they're doing. And I don't know what I'm doing. You know, you, you never know if you know what you're doing. Of course, I was completely fucking wrong. Right. But, <laughs> you know, and, and had even fucking worse failure. Far worse. But, but far worse. Yeah. And a worse experience overall. Well, yeah, yeah I had a lot of fun, um, yeah. which I'll, I'll, I'll take the fun. Anyway, but like, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that, uh, that's the way I, that was my mentality about it. Let me have my experience because right. every, every person has their own. And that's it, you know, whether it be a small little label or go into a certain studio or whatever the fuck, you know, so don't go there. It sucks. It's like, you know what? Let me try it. Let me see. Yeah. It's especially now it's like, it's like night and day now. It's not, it has nothing to do with being on a major label now is like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, in 2016, it doesn't hold the credibility that it held. No, It, it used to be the pinnacle for people. Where now, I mean, it's an afterthought because the bands that are that huge are doing everything themselves and just trying to get, if anything, manufacturing distribution deals. Right. So, I mean, you know. I know. DIY, man. <laughs> Radiohead, you know. DIY is an easy thing to do now. It's just cutting through the noise is the hard part. Well, yeah. And, right. and, you know, so that's... They, like, the, the but major- if you have a social media machine behind you, you need that more than a label now. Because it's like the marketing is so different than it was in the 90s even. That's why being 19 years old is great. Because you know how to do all that shit. Being 19 right. is great for a lot of reasons. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I miss that. Uh, I don't, because I wouldn't be able to drink. Oh, wait, I did anyway. Um, I met you when you were 15, and you were drinking. <laughs> That's true. That's a true story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you couldn't get too drunk at shows back then, because I, I learned my lesson the hard way. You'd have friends who would get wasted and like get blackout drunk at a hardcore show. and like, Well, where we, where we grew up, they would do this thing where they would combine like Morbid Angel with Sick of It All. Nice, or, you know, or like, yeah, it was cool. musically great. Alters musically great. I have yes. that record. Oh, dude. <laughs> I saw that, I saw that I twice that on that shirt. tour. Pete Sandoval. Still have that shirt. <laughs> Pete Sandoval is the first guy I ever saw play Blast Beats live. So sick. I mean, like, he's insane. Beast. And he played with like knitting needle sized sticks. And, Did he really? And, like all this jewelry and shit on. I don't remember. There was yeah. so much. The smoke. There was so much dry <laughs> ice on stage. I could Trey see. Had all that stuff for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, they were like they were like the fucking like the rat of death metal with all with all their their sort of imagery and the leather pants <laughs> and all that shit. Well, the leather Vincent. pants, I can't do it. Yeah, uh, he was trying to be pretty and evil at the same time. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, he was neither. But yeah, they uh, they would do these combo shows, and so you'd get that combo crowd. And right. the only other place you'd see a combo crowd like that was at a Slayer show, where 
everybody yeah. convened, yep. and and it was a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, that was the ugliest, most dangerous <laughs> crowds ever. Was yeah. back back in the yeah. day, Slayer shows, and and the, and the music was just so overtly violent. Yeah. And, and speaking of drummers, actually, I wanted to bring this up to you because I had an experience. Dave Lombardo played here, oh, which is nice. super, okay. super cool. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, which great. band was it? Film? Uh, yes. And uh, and he signed my copy of Hello Waits back there. And uh, cool. the nice. the uh, he so I went to see the Big Four, and I had seen Slayer. I'd seen all the bands a bunch of times. It, like never, you know, when you that was see the them, thing at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Right. Right. When you see them back to back, you really see the difference in those bands. And. It was like, okay, Slayer played, Megadeth played. I mean, uh, Anthrax played, Megadeth played. And, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. But when fucking Slayer went on, this is when he was still in the band, and he's playing a thrash beat, you, it's almost like listening to, like, that, that, that thing when you listen to Helmet. Like, you know, you, you can't help yourself but move. Yeah. He swings yeah, yeah, in, with a thrash beat. Yeah. Which I, it's, and almost no thrash drummers swing. Yeah. It's almost like the opposite of what thrash is, in a sense. But he does. And he, you know, he has that punk element where he almost sounds like he's out of control. And yeah. but, his fills are always are, so reckless that they're completely in control. And but his hat swings in a thrash beat, which I I never noticed it until I heard him play back to back against other thrash drummers who were great, but they just they didn't make me move. Yeah, it's too like machine like. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Rain and Blood. I I love because well, I like the cassette of Rain and Blood because it's the whole oh, record on, on both each sides, side, right? But um. And it used to just flip, flip over, over in your you car. Do again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Automatically. Um, but uh, how so many times you think he's going to lose it, like he's going to lose the beat, and he doesn't. No. Like it's always like it's, it's yeah, it's complete chaos. He's a machine. Chaos. And I'm yeah, gathering yeah, yeah, yeah. that that record was not done to a click track. Oh, I would guess. I can't imagine. I seriously it. doubt it. Yeah. I yeah. imagine it wasn't. No. Yeah. I, I mean, it was 86, and I just don't think that's oh, they how used, they, they used clicks, for, uh, but like not for a record like that. I would imagine yeah. they wouldn't have I done wouldn't it. I wouldn't think they did. I want to put a click on Dave Lombardo. Gotta be like, what would that be like? Okay, give me a click. Um, quarter notes of like click at like <laughs> two hundred and fifty BPM or something. What, like, what sound would it have to be to cut? You <laughs> 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 fucking suck. Wow. It would super suck for everybody else. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I would fucking hear this. But that's crazy. Then all the breaks were done without a click too, which is that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Wow. Did you do meantime or any of the records to a click? No. Wow. Serious. Yeah, I think uh, maybe one song. I think I, I couldn't do it. Now it's the the irony is that I used to hate playing to a click, and I, I actually kind of couldn't do it. I was like, it's, it's just driving me nuts. I can't do it. So, um, so yeah, I never used a click. But now with battles, now I it's hard not playing with some sort of because in battles it's I'm playing to a loop that's being right, blasted so behind me. So there's yeah. basically yeah. it's like the loop is really the drummer. Are you running a, are you running it through your through your monitor? Well through the monitors, yeah. Yeah, okay. But I mean the only reason that I'm even set up in the front is because when the band started, um we like the amp behind me is like playing the loop that everyone's supposed to hear. So we were we started where we we didn't want to rely on monitors at all. So um, it was like a really weird setup. But well, anyway, because yeah. you never know where you're going to play. Exactly. So, right. so you figure out the easiest way possible to do right. it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. How did, yeah. how did Battles come about? Battles started with um, everyone knew Ian um, who, from Don Caballero, Ian Williams. Um, everyone knew him. As the guy who took, wore 30 jackets. That's a- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 30 <laughs> jacket man. Um, he was in, he lived in Chicago and then he moved to New York and I'd already known him from Don Caballero and we have, uh, uh, similar friends and I think he knew Dave from 
Dave's old band and he knew Tyende from somewhere else. I have no idea. But um, he moved to New York and I ran into him on the street and he was just, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing. And they had already played once. It wasn't called Battles. It, uh, they played at the Knitting Factory. Um, it was just the three of them with no drums. And, and I agreed to it and it was, you know, it was... Uh, it was really strange at first. It was not the usual, like, you know, fr- from the moment we first played, I knew that this was going to be this amazing. Like, it took, like, a lot. Of, like, I was yeah. kind of like, that's this is really lame. I'm not into this. Like, and then I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go back. I, I can like, see I can see that. It's like, I mean, uh, the, it's, it's a special t- taste, you know? I, yeah, I mean, it, it took a minute before we had Plus the instrumental aspect idea. of it. Was that, yeah. So was that something that you were really interested in? Were you, were you coming out of Tomahawk at that point? Um, well, no, it's still in Tomahawk, still in but, Tomahawk. but yeah, okay. so battle, battle started, um, like at the end of like the second Tomahawk record okay. kind of, um, so yeah, battle started as like a side project sort of, and then it definitely like flipped like, uh, at that time I was also in another band in Australia. So yeah, it's really crazy. But so, so what's your starting band? Uh, it's called the Mark of Cain. That one I don't know much about. Yeah, and they've, they've been around for a really long time on two records with them um one from um well basically okay helmet i was in helmet from 89 to 98 98 yeah Yeah. broke up um and then i fractured my wrist snowboarding and um was really freaking out and i kind of it was fine because i I didn't want to play drums for like a while it was like such a terrible bad experience um the end of helmet oh yeah it was awful so i didn't want to be in a band for a minute I fractured my wrist and then I started and I really didn't want to get a job and I'm just kind of the phone is not ringing off the hook at all and I'm starting to like really panic and like you know six months goes by I'm just like damn like spending all the money I saved um, and then I started DJing and then I took that really seriously and then the next thing I know I'm I was DJing six nights a week for almost a year in New York which is I mean that's like Ten that's to that's a yeah. lot of gigs. Yeah, it's a ton of gigs. So what were you DJing? Oh, just hip hop. Just hip hop. Yeah, okay. hip hop and R and B. Okay, and so you know there were like some places like uh, Ludlow Ludlow Bar, which was really cool. I could play whatever I wanted, and then there was like the the money gig where I had to play like Hot ninety seven stuff. <laughs> you know, I had to like really pay attention to like you what know was it was current. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And what, to the dance floor? See people were dancing to you? Yeah, I'd do like reggae set, like do two reggae sets a night. Right. Like I had to know my dance hall, like shit like that. So, um, and I had to be really up on R&B, super up on all the hip hop, do all these Jay-Z medleys and stuff like that and spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on records. And, and that was really fun for a while, but then I really started to burn out on that um, and I wanted to play again. And the, the lifestyle was like, really bumming me out this is like around 2001 i think um the lifestyle was really starting to bum me out it's like yeah, going to late sleep nights and, and oh yeah it's just yeah. really unhealthy and uh this band that i played with in australia called the mark of Cain, these two brothers contacted me and wanted to know if uh, i wanted to play on their record so i said yes went to australia rehearsed wrote a little bit played on the record and then it would just slowly was like can you come back and do this one show and then it was like the next thing i know um, I, th- I went nine times in one year. Oh my gosh. So wow. that's like that's, once every that's a hell of a flight. five weeks. That's yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And so then I was, uh, you know, practically living in Australia and that was for about a year. That was like, um, 2000. Yeah. 
I was 2000 and I was still DJing and then it came back then it's 9-11 and then actually so from the minute I did The Mark of Cain and came back then Tomahawk started and I knew Dwayne Dennison from The Jesus Desert I knew Patton from Touring with Faith No More a really long time ago and I knew Kevin Ritmanis from Amphetamine Reptile he was in The Cows yeah and so that sort of just fell on my lap and it was like that was this instant band that like that it was it was like a couple of phone calls Dwayne's like here's a bunch of songs sent us cassettes Patton dumped all this stuff on it and then sent everyone those cassettes and it was like it was like saying yes to this project and then like a week later or two weeks later I flew to Nashville and we sort of rehearsed for like maybe two or three days and then cut a record that quick it was so wow, that's incredible so fast yeah it was really really fast um, and but it was so just that's how a, the first record was written basically not even in a room together at all just sending each other tapes yeah 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 it was like I mean now it people was send Dwayne, each other files like, and stuff but back then yeah no this was, was cassette tapes and it was um, not even CDs it was cassette tapes and it was like the, uh, a pretty loose um, s- sketch of something that Dwayne wrote and then you know then Patton getting his hands on it and um, sending it back to us and it was like yeah it's like we played for I think it was three days in Nashville and then just went right in uh, recorded it and it just went like clockwork it was super professional the guys were really really nice and really it was just good like chemistry this, from the beginning oh yeah and it was just like this complete eye-opening experience of like wow you know like now being in a band is fun again it's like I totally <laughs> yeah. forgot because I was just I only had one example of what being in a band was yeah and it was like and it ended really badly so it's like you know, so and so much so that I didn't even want to be in a band for at least a year. Mike so, Patton seems you know. like a like he he's a fun guy if he likes you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I it's uh, there's a great story. Did where uh, my friend was standing behind me. Asked somebody asked him for an autograph in front of him. And he goes, "It's your life." <laughs> yeah. Just stuff like that. Like you know, I I saw Mr. Bungle in uh, nineteen. 90 or 1989 please tell me the spit show in Long Island no it wasn't it was, that was the next night okay. uh, I saw him at the Marquee with the gr- in with city. yeah and, uh, and it was a really bad snowstorm or sort of a semi bad snowstorm and uh, I was I was really skinny at the time whatever and I got thrown up on stage and the bass player took my shoe off and Trevor yeah and nice. put it okay. put, they were wearing the masks and the, and the cast, gas station outfits and all that shit and uh, and he puts a, he puts the puts it on on this base and then they, I get thrown back into the crowd and I'm like I, I gotta get I gotta get home tonight you know my so my your shoe was on my Trevor shoe Dunn's base yeah wow it's awesome my shoe was off and I'm like I, I'm gonna walk home in the snow with one fucking shoe <laughs> like fuck this no way I'm like somebody throw me up on stage so I go back up on stage and Trevor is is he's blocking me with his base <laughs> trying to get to trying to get to the oh, fucking good. to the amp and I look to my right and I see Mike Patton on top of this guy in front of the bass drum with his knees on his shoulders just fucking screaming in his face it was another crowd member who was on stage and it was like it was this imprint on my brain I did it every night when I played in a band called Gay for Johnny Depp for, for years in the, two, in the aughts um, and I would just grab a band a, a member of the crowd and just fucking throw them on the ground and get on their shoulders and scream in their face it was like it was so amazing I got my shoe back by the way Okay. That's good. what you get for wearing good. slip-ons at a fucking, you know, at a, a at a Mr. Bungle show. At a, and then, so so Trevor, or was it, who's the horn player? Uh, I don't know who the horn player was, but the, so the show's over, they come out for the encore, and the horn player has all these beers in his pockets, right? And he 
shotguns about eight beers in a row and projectile vomits on the crowd. Wow. So I, at that point, I was like, I'm so glad I'm not up front this anymore. This is a way better show than the one I saw. Oh, it's fucking incredible, dude. Like, yeah. So anyway, I, I, yeah, Mike Patton is, uh, he just seems like he's, he, he, he can be a hit or miss guy, but I don't know him at all. So, and, you know, obviously I you mean, had a good experience I, with him. So I've had nothing but, you know, good experiences with him. I mean. So he's a lovely guy is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Cool. Class act all the way. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. But uh, in regards, I mean, but so, so Tomahawk, it was just this really eye-opening experience for me that, that uh, you know, what, this is fun. It's, it's, this is what being in a band is supposed to be like, a super professional. No one's taking it that seriously. And I think it's just probably it, because we're all older. Was it 24-7, though? Was it, like a, was it like a full-time job? No, that's the other thing, too, is that it's like... It I was, mean, he has 50 projects, so yeah, it Yeah, so it was like anyway. a serious part. It was a serious project. So, but in the sense where it was like we got together played for three days rehearsed the record the whole thing in like a week maybe probably even less than that just bam like that's so many one takes on that first Tomahawk record uh, mixed it and and then it was like okay everybody well, like um, let's I guess now we're going to tour so it's like everyone went and did their own thing for a couple months or I forget how long it was until it actually was released and we just basically just played everywhere once and it was like it's so just back to back got it over with like simple it was amazing and then you know we took a a year off and then did that entire thing all over again in LA like same style like really quick um with Joe Barisi um in in LA and did the same thing just like tour and then on the second record we were done touring so we played you know a big US tour a European tour uh Australia New Zealand and that's it, I guess. Um, and then at the end of that, Tool um, asked us to go out on tour with them in the U.S. And this is already after like 10 months after the record had been out. And then Tool's, and we couldn't really say no to that, but it was like a nine-week U.S. tour of like secondary Whoa. market U.S. It was just like, Oof. it was really fun, <laughs> but it was, it was really long, really long. And like playing it like, playing probably for like 40 minutes, like, uh, How'd you, you know, go over with the Tool crowd? Some nights it was okay. Other nights it was not. It was, mostly it was okay. It, it, but they were like... The well, absolute, was it was watching Danny Carey play uh, drums every night. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I mean, Amazing and, drummer. I, he would, he, the, they always have the opening band drummer come out and play a song with them. Oh, like cool. play Rotatom. So I'd play every night with them. And like Maynard would come out a lot of the times during our set. And like they're just like the, possibly the nicest band I've ever toured with, ever. Awesome. We're still incredible people. That's interesting. I've never heard nice associated with Maynard's name. No, I think he was amazing. totally nice. That's interesting. Awesome dude. Re- re- really cool people. And but it was like it was literally nine weeks, and it was just like <laughs> playing for forty minutes at like before dinner, like playing. At like yeah, seven, seven o'clock. Sharp, it was just like, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So it was of course, and kind of boring. The best thing is then you could get drunk after. Yeah, but, but I have to go back on, on stage, though. So there are definitely some nights where I'm just play like... Play some fucking Roto Toms. You can do that I know, but, but yeah, but, okay. But, You're a well. fucking Rush fan. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you would wake up... After a while, it just got maddening. Because it's like you'd wake up and you'd spend your entire day in a parking lot. And it would be in some arena, you know, in outside of Fort Worth. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like I you're think not that's, even that's in Fort Worth. That, were fun. Like, that was always the maddening part of doing arena tours for me uh, was was that whole thing that you're like not near anything yeah. that you can go see because that that for me up up to the point where I, I was doing that I, I I always that was the whole point I wanted to travel 
Right. You know, like you were saying, like you, you quit college and, and you, you got this bug and you never wanted to go back. That was it for me too. And it's like, if I can't, what's the fucking point if I can't walk around the town and go see stuff and right. you know, like it sucks. It's a, it, it's a total bummer. And it, plus if you're in a, in a bus, that was the other thing when, when I, I always, I, not that I enjoyed staying at people's places, but it would be more fun. Yeah, Unfortunately, totally, totally. If, you, if you if you didn't want to be fucking completely wrecked drunk every night, it right. wasn't fun. But but uh, I did, so it was okay. But right. the 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 van thing was it was just like there was more of a camaraderie to it, where the bus is like, eh, you know, and you, you what well, you park in the fucking parking lot of a drive, you know, whatever a fucking um, you know some big truck stop thing, and that's where you wake up and you pee right. and maybe maybe shower. I doubt it. It's like it's a whole different experience. I can imagine for nine weeks, though. Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah, I mean, and it was it was on a bus. We had to get a bus. Um, but I mean, some of the funnest tours I've ever done were would be the first couple of Tomahawk tours where we uh, it was we rented a minivan. So it's just the four of us in a minivan, and then a truck that the front of house guy and the tour manager guy drives. So you only had two guys in the crew, and, and, and yeah, just two person crew, and it's just the four of us in a minivan because you can park it anywhere. You get into a town and it's like, you know, the restaurant you want to go to, you don't have to take cabs. It's Were you awesome. guys driving it yourself? And it's not even a van. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's fucking awesome. And it's cruise control is blasting, you know, Could you, just, could you imagine, like, like, they're playing so in cool. Omaha and, like, fucking Mike Patton pulls up in a minivan? <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, like, so cool. That and then the, um, after, after all of that, you know, so the, the Tool thing and so that was the second record and then battles started and those early battles tours were also some of the funnest because and that was going straight back to like the early helmet tours where it's like sleeping on people's floors sleeping in like squats siphoning gas for the van um <laughs> making no money whatsoever playing to like five ten people but this time it was with like these incredibly awesome kids with, so, i mean Ian's you, my age but the other two were much younger and it was just like this is amazing you didn't like, feel any it's funny because like it's that you felt a sort of almost a relief out of not being in that whole like because i would say that that's the opposite reaction to most people who would oh, i just you know i just toured arenas and i've been on a bus and now like i'm fucking sleeping on people's floors again like fuck this yeah you know? but i mean i feel like um i feel really really lucky in the sense that like I feel like I'm not supposed as a as a musician I'm not supposed to have like a, a second chance in a w- weird way like I, I feel like you know helmet I achieved something in helmet and most people my age probably would just go towards something that they know will sell or that, that'll make money or blah blah you know it's, all of a sudden you become way more conservative and safe rather you don't take these like really radical risks in your 40s you know right. so I feel like Battles was so weird, and like I have, like I have nothing to lose here, yeah. and it's just like I want it to be as weird as possible. Well, and and artistically, I it. artistically, it's I mean incredibly challenging. So it's yeah, I mean it's not it's, it's not a easy very music. Band. It's, it's hard. And it's not commercial in any way. No. Yeah, I mean it it was it was you know it took a really 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 long time before we had any idea of what we were doing at all. So it, it you know mirrored took a long 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 time to write that record and it's like and that's a product of like williamsburg in that era like the the early like 2003 i think 2004 okay, yeah. um so after like the yeah yeah yeah's hit and all that yeah shit it was like happening. interpol liars was, yeah, right. yeah yeah when did TV the first on the radio, few eps like, come out 2004 no uh five maybe 2003 okay i think yeah there were two I, eps i picked up b and c is that what they're called yeah yeah i picked those up when they came out i saw you once or twice back then, then I didn't see you for years, and it was a completely different animal. 
Yeah, it, like we, we, it was a really slow simmer, like really slow. Like we really didn't know. We were just learning as it was happening, and we we immediately started touring, like right off the bat. And we still didn't know what we were doing. We're, we're t- like our our third or fourth show was opening for Mars Volta in Tokyo, so wow. it was really <laughs> weird. And we were just like. Like I just called my friend up in Tokyo. That's a fucking cool combination of bands, by the way. They're really cool. Yeah, they're, and they're they're like had never heard heard us. And they were like that was very nice of them. It was like two thousand, maybe three thousand people in Tokyo. Wow. And like awesome. they were just like, yeah, sure, that's cool. But I think like, their fans could like you for yo, sure. For sure, absolutely. It was weird, yeah. I mean, they, if, unless they were still, you know, riding that at the drive-in thing, which maybe yeah, be weird, I mean, but maybe. the Mars Volta, first, Mars Volta's first record is fucking phenomenal. I think they were kind of new, I think. Yeah. It was like, two, I guess, 2003, 2004? Yeah. They, had, no. they were yeah. probably really new at that point. Yeah. So we, I mean, we started playing like right off the bat, like uh, um, TV on the radio, played with them a lot. Um, uh, when that's, they first that's started very, that's very and, Brooklyn of that era yeah, yeah. Coptic yeah, Light completely you know um, and we played North Six which is now of course we just call it music yeah um, we call it justice yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love North Six I love yeah, North Six awesome. I love playing in the basement yeah that was I, actually I played both I played the basement I don't I remember the, it but I played it I played the upstairs Galapagos the remember Galapagos yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah public assembly so I mean yeah. I, you know, I feel very very lucky in the sense that um you know, and the, like those guys were so cool, and I believed in the music so much that it didn't matter to me that I'm like losing money, I'm sleeping on glass on someone's floor, <laughs> and you know, and we're playing to like five people in Minneapolis. Like, it, I didn't care. You knew you were onto something. Something cool was happening. I think. I mean, I just really believed in it, and it, yeah. and and we we totally stuck with it. And it's like it was like I said, it was a really slow simmer, and it, and we, it, a lot of work went into that, and um and then we got on warp through Prefuse 73 and Prefuse 73 basically just brought us on tour in Europe and the US like and Japan even like this massive tour he just brought us brought us on and then he basically introduced introduced us to warp and then that's that's kind of it wow I mean, so what was like so Tomahawk was sort of on a simmer and it slowed down and slowed down did the band ever actually break up no 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 so so yeah, it was like this, after the second record, then we did the Tool thing, and then I think everyone was like pretty fried at that point. And then it was like, yeah, like I said, it's Tomahawk is definitely a like, um, you guys want to do another record? Like, all right, yeah, well, let's let's talk in a while, kind of thing. And everyone has other stuff going on, so everyone yeah. goes and everyone lived in different cities. Um, and I think at that time, then Kevin left the Melvins and then had a kind of a falling out with Dwayne. And then we recorded the third record, which is called Anonymous, which is kind of a um, concept record. That's a very interesting record. Because it's all um, Native American Indian music. But we didn't tour on that. And I did that in Nashville right around Mirrored. it's a very different record, too. Hmm? Rhythmically, it's a very different record, Yeah, it's basically, Dwayne was in a used bookstore and he found this manuscript of non-published uh like so so public domain because they don't know who wrote it the songs of these like native american indian melodies it was like this really weird manuscript that he found and um so we did a record based on that so these are all like these really weird indian songs it's a very Um, interesting record cool Um, yeah Yeah. that was really fun and i I recorded that and again like i can't even by myself i think in nashville just like Patton wasn't even there i think it was just me and Dwayne. um (laughs) <laughs> recorded a bunch of stuff in the in between battles tours and then just returned to battles worlds and then uh and then there was like a really long gap 
and then it was definitely only battles for years. And then out of nowhere, um, I think three years ago, um, those guys were like, let's, let's do another Tomahawk record. And it, it was just like all the other ones where it was like, here's the record, here's the songs, let's meet here. We asked Trevor to be in the band to play bass from, from Mr. Bungle, Trevor Dunn. And um, it was just like clockwork. It was, it's just, if everything could be this easy. It was it was great. We recorded in Nashville again at the Black Keys guys studio, um, and then just toured everywhere, and that was that. And it fell perfectly in between battle stuff. Um, and I just where'd you play you know, New York with that? The this was three years ago now. The the uh, not best yeah Best Buy Theater no Best Buy. Yeah, it's, it's in called, Midtown. It yeah. was called yeah. the PlayStation. It's Theater. had like five it's names in ten WWF years. WWF no yeah. Yeah. that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking. So it was great. <laughs> awesome. That's killer. So that's, it's uh, been three years then since your last one. Is there another one coming? Um, I I think so. Like I never really know. You just Honestly, wait for the call I, and then you answer. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's just sort of the way it, it works. I guess you know. That's kind of like, cool though. I mean, you yeah. know. Uh, well, it sounds like it's a very. If you guys have great chemistry as people and musically, it doesn't sound like you can make it work. Yeah, who's, who's, like the so who's the catalyst? Who's the catalyst behind that band? Is there one guy who who like really well, I mean, pushes it? I feel like it's it's definitely Dwayne started the band and it's his baby, and he 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 starts the songs, and then of course Patton is such a maximalist, dominating person <laughs> that he'll he puts his huge stamp on, and then you know it's also on Ipecac, it's on his label, right? So it's a uh, yeah, it's like I have no problem just like being along for the ride on that, and it's a, it's an awesome ride, you know. So it's great, and it's it's uh it's always been sort of um, understood that this is not like your main thing. Like everybody else has other stuff going on, and everyone else is in other bands, and this is not going to be like don't depend on this too much. Right, and that I think takes a lot of pressure off, and it makes it more fun somehow, knowing that it's just this thing that can we, this could go on forever. Let me ask you a question. You so you've been in like throughout this conversation what what a lot of what I get is every band you've been in it's been I mean to be in a like Mike Patton's super cool Tomahawk like they're fucking cool you know it's like it's 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 not as big as Faith No More but it's way cooler it's like taking uh, at least in my opinion you right. know what I mean in battles in battles is like you know just it's this fucking animal that's like incredible and weird and and does in helmet which was just trend setting and, and life changing for a lot of people and, and industry changing even. Um, have you done anything you're embarrassed about? That's a very, very good question. Um, I, cause you're super, you're too fucking cool for school, John. All right. I, so let's, let's, <laughs> I want to know. No, I, I kind of, I, I kind of, I, I hate to say this, but, um, I kind of wish I was not on the last helmet record. <laughs> I, I cannot stand it. That's the only. I, I, I like, I'm going to say, even though I've known you for 45 minutes, I wish that record <laughs> didn't exist. It so sucks. Is, is it, that is Chris on that record? Yeah. yeah. No, actually, no, he's not. He's, he's not. not. No, it's no, a, he's not on it. It was the fuck we, is it? We, it was a three piece. Oh, it's, oh, it's just yeah. Page. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's there's moments on it, but it's kind of like the power ooh, and drive is gone. You can just tell. Like I don't, of course, sit around the house listening to my my own records by any means, but I found I do when the, I get really the, drunk. <laughs> well, okay. I'm like, okay, I, this is this is really good. Why did I make it, man? I don't fucking get it. Stand there crying, totally in the back of an Uber on the way crying home. In your <laughs> what could have been? It's what happens all the time. It's sad. I have a I have a playlist on on my Spotify with all my records on it. 
and then I just hit random when I'm really drunk and I listen <laughs> to it. It's fucking pathetic. <laughs> I hate all my records. I hate the way they came out production-wise. So even though I like the songs, it's... You, that's because you want them to sound like shit and they probably sound well, too good. I want it's, them to sound live and raw and real. That's the thing. Not like that's shit. That's really hard to do, dude. That's one, I know. I've learned that's that. It's, I have 10 records I can show you. But I, I I, there's like, a couple I can show you I'm proud of. But <laughs> song-wise, I like them all, but, but I never liked the final product that much. All right, so the last helmet record we're talking, you just were fucking bummed. It, it I mean, I, is, is, is it I, have I a lot it, to do with the experience of it as well. Yeah, like I'm sure ever, a lot of it. Yeah, it's like it's it's um, you can just hear it, it, that no one's talking to each other anymore, and it's just like everybody hates one another, and it's it was just miserable. It, it like, I mean, the bass player basically we recorded that record, then the and then it's like okay, now we're gonna tour everywhere, you know. And the bass player told us before we toured that. After all the touring is done, he's quitting the band. So you're like on the road oh, with God. someone who you know is going to quit. Yeah. And it was just like no one was talking to each other. There was like way too much drinking going on. Um, like the band sounds bad. neutered, though. It doesn't. It yeah, doesn't exactly. Hit. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't hit the way. All yeah, the it was other really had. depressing. And it's towards the end. It was just like wow. This and and it. The last show was in um, Italy. I think it was in like bologna italy i think or turin or something and um i kind of knew that this was gonna be the last show and that was really depressing and it wasn't uh, like i didn't feel. announce that i was gonna quit or anything and you know and i'm still like was still young and was just really like is like is that it is that is is this is this it for me like is that was my like you know my 15 minutes well not 15 minutes more like nine years of, yeah. of fame and is like now do i do I have to go and get a regular job now? Like, surely this can't happen again. And that, to me, is why I just feel, like, blessed and really, really lucky that it's still, at this day, you know, for my age, like, this shouldn't, this really shouldn't happen to people. I think drummers, though, drummers have a better chance than the guy who's, like, the fucking out-front singer-songwriter guy, you know? Because, Maybe, because yeah. you're Because you're a workhorse, and if you're really, really good, you add so much to... To, and you to can go band. to so many different genres. Being yeah, a very talented yeah. drummer. Yeah, where singers get stuck more in like a. And if a singer tries to reinvent himself, it usually has disastrous results. Yeah, it totally does. Right. Yeah. So, what are your sure. feelings? Uh, I mean, and you, I mean, it, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. I know we've talked about it in private a little bit, but um, about what Paige has done with Helmet since. I mean, it's your. It's honestly like you know, as I know, it's Paige's band. Yeah. Whatever, but like you, you're. The drum sound was such a huge fucking part of of Helmet and what happened with it. What are your feelings about what Paige has done with the band since? Like, do you feel like it was stupid or the record? Do you ever have you ever heard the records? No, not at all. Okay, but it's, I mean, he is. It's it's uh it's he's it's totally his right to go and do that. Like, if he wants to continue on his helmet that's totally his business I have no problem whatsoever with that oh and he has no problem either, so it's okay hmm? he has no problem either so. yeah no. <laughs> I have yeah, no, a slightly I mean, totally different it's take like, I mean probably because I saw you guys in the early days in smaller clubs and going back to what you said about that New York sound and feel I think there was a chemistry with the original lineup these guys might imitate the music almost perfectly but that edge or that desperation or that pushing it to the brink is not there at all it's just formulaic, memorized, tight, 
very good songs. But it, the thing but is, it the thing is, Ron feel. is like, yeah, I, I get you. It doesn't but, feel like. But it I did. feel like there's a there's a, a lot of people who love nostalgia and they want to come and they want to hear the songs and and it's you it's know, great for that because I mean they nail it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think like if if uh, who am I to like dictate what is and what is not helmet? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's like if if according to him, it's going to be this thing that's just going to go on and on and on and on and on like for another twenty records, which is fine. That's that's. Do, do your thing that's fine so I, I feel like I'm obviously now it's this group that it, it's a band that has lasted a very very long time so I'm only one chapter of, right, right. of that band yeah so it's at like, this I, point yeah. you know I respect that of course like right. I don't uh, I, you know I'm glad I've made the decisions that I've made overwhelmingly of course but uh, I just you know whatever I'm, that's, I'm not really it's not really on my radar I'm not really cool yeah you know. I mean, well you've obviously moved on and done other things and and progressed as a musician so you know it's it's fuck it fuck them man i don't give a fuck <laughs> fucking assholes just kidding i don't know it's cool come back and play please two nights this time um so uh all right let's wrap it up with the fat final questions that we ask anybody who plays in bands worst show and best show and why oh, man it's impossible i know impossible it's almost not fair to ask this but we have to uh, and that's not man. the last question. The last question is going to be even better. So, um, <laughs> worst show was worst show was either um, there was like the first battles tour we ever did. We played it was in the winter. And we played Minneapolis, and there was like um, there was there was no one there. Like the promoters, like we have zero presales, like no one. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. And he's, and he's like, yep. And, he, and then he handed me this like a notebook of all of the promotion that he did and sure enough it's in like every single like Minneapolis you know free so basically weekly, like featuring members of nobody fucking you know. likes you guys okay so it was just this like eye opening experience like holy shit like wow. what the fuck man and like so, there, so there were square one man yeah but there, so there were about three people there and it was just this night where I was like it was they bragged it's only now, happened they were there it yeah. o- oh, it's yeah. only happened once and that was that moment where I was like is this really gonna work and I'm, I'm like I'm I'm in my late 30s now. Like, is this what am I like? It was the tiniest question. Then, of course, that only lasted for an hour or two, and then it was a great show. And did you play the same song 20 times? Like the like the, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, we're not. And then the other worst show would be um, in the, that very first helmet tour in Port Chester. I was okay. just like, God, this is like a New York area show, right? Port Chester's like it's it, not it, far. It, it, it's not far, but it might as well be Mars. Yeah, it, and it was in a it was in a bar. It yeah. was just like mm. you've got to be kidding me! Like, why are we why are we playing this gig? And there's like, it's the bartender and his girlfriend, and us and the Melvins, and the Melvins played uh, with they played acoustic like, but with that like with brushes and like <laughs> I don't think Buzz plugged his guitar in, so it was just like the sound of an electric guitar. Just yeah, that's fucking awesome. All right, best show. And best show, that's impossible because I have so many. You can give one like, for each band if you want. Life changing shows. Like I, 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 every, I, every other battle show is like, this is the best show we've ever done. I asked Brian Cook this question from Russia Circles and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and Botch. And he, his whole thing was he, he played a These Arms Are Snakes show where he barely. They, they, a show got canceled and then they, like, there was a storm and they, their fucking flight got canceled and, like, they, they, like, barely made it to the show. And he was like, just the fact that we made it was the best thing ever. Yeah, that so just he, happened to us. 
Okay. In, in Wales, in the middle of Wales, last week we played Green Man Festival, and what happened was we the night before we had played um, Poland, played a festival in Poland, so we flew from Poland to Amsterdam, and we had a three-hour layover in Amsterdam, then Amsterdam to Bristol, UK. When we arrived in Bristol, home of trip hop. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's actually a, a village called Portishead. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's where they get the name. Really? Yeah. Wow. They also have this great place that. called Pie Minister. It's like a it's like a pie place. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> so fucking good. But so we get we get to Bristol Airport and our gear didn't make it. So we're like, well, we can't, you know. And then it's a two hour drive. You guys aren't borrowing gear from. Yeah, no, it's a two-hour drive to the middle of nowhere, Wales. Not feasible. And so then the baggage people, KLM, were like, well, it's not on the next flight from Amsterdam, but it's going to be on the 9 p.m. flight. So we had to wait in Bristol Airport for eight and a half hours just last week. Oh, God, it's brutal. Should have gotten Had a van company, like, pick us up with the gear, and we, like, floored it into Wales in, in, like, just dark, muddy, huge festival and, like, set up in record time like just shotgunning beers as fast as I possibly can and played like just this incredible set. And this was like 10 days ago. Awesome. You guys should have requested and then a, hel- a couple you weeks before that a helicopter. was Fuji Rock in, in Japan was amazing this yeah. year. It was really, really good. Sweet. So. Sweet. I mean, what, what, was the, what was the first, like, uh, all right, so we can say, what was, what was the, like, so after all the hardship that Battles went through where it was like playing in front of n- nobody and like really going back to sleeping on people's floors, what was the first show you played where you were like, okay, this is going to work, and this is the best fucking thing ever. Um, I don't remember that. I, I mean, the, those early shows, for sure. Like, it's, it was never like the first show we played, it was like, wow, this, this isn't good yet. Or, you know, or a, a week into our first tour, it's like, this still isn't good yet. It was everything just, it was this natural, really slow progression where it's like, once it, there was a moment when it like really clicked, and it's like, this is totally happening. I think that was in Japan. Because we, we went to Japan, like, uh, like I said, I think our third, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh shows ever were in Japan. And like sleeping on people's floors in Japan. It was like doing like a punk band tour. Awesome. It was incredible. Okay. I saw you guys. Like, am I imagining this? Did you play Central Park for free once yeah. in the early days? Yeah. That was the first time. So that was pretty early, wasn't it? Maybe like mm-hmm. a year or two into the band? Wasn't that? That was with um, like Black Dice? Yes. That yeah. was the show. No, that was. That was uh, it wasn't that long ago. I don't remember. It was like five years ago. That was only five years ago? Seven years ago? Yeah. Jesus, Ron, where are you been? five. Oh, Maybe. Yeah, me. I really don't know. I mean, I'm yeah. no better with dates John, you. Go, Ron, you go to like four fucking shows a night, so how can you fucking Yeah, <laughs> my head's exploding. It's, <laughs> all, right. it's all a jumble. Aliens. Give it to me. Do I believe in aliens? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Of course. Have you had Head any start. experiences? No. No. Okay. Why do, you, why do you believe? Uh, I just think it's cool to believe. <laughs> Believe. Did you I'm, see that? Did you see I'm that footage believing. from the um, from the uh, uh, space space station? There was some footage that was released with like this weird fucking thing coming down. The next thing to that it. they announced two days ago. Yeah, I read about it. I didn't see anything. No, it's, but remember, was it two years ago? It was like two summers ago when out over the Hudson there were these like three lights during the yes. day. Yeah. There was like these three lights and yeah, in the that afternoon. Was awesome. yeah. yeah, that was intense. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> what do you think, Ron? What do you, um, like, you, you've never commented on this. Because you're a big conspiracy I mean, theory guy, so I, I you know, I, this to me is different than conspiracy, though. Because I mean, if we really think, when it comes to the universe, Tupac, if Tupac Earth, is alive, you see that picture of the. Oh yeah, the, no, the, yeah, totally. The I mean, Tupac is alive. See, the problem is that I don't care if Tupac's alive, so it's like. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's if it. I cared, it would be different, you know. Jim Morrison. I, I mean, but this is different. I mean, to get strictly to this, the size of the universe. 
I mean, we're so fucking minuscule as a planet. So to think that there's not something else out there is just really simple and naive. And I don't think that yeah. that caters to any conspiracy no, I, theory. I think that's what just Stephen Hawking said. I think universe. that's what Stephen Hawking said, and he's a lot smarter than us. So, yeah, you know, he's <laughs> pretty smart. I can run faster. That's but the book that everyone has smart. that no one's read. Oh, uh, yeah, oh his, <laughs> yeah. his, yeah, yeah. Uh, what the fuck is he called? Like, I'm the smartest guy in the world, and yeah. fuck you. And I cheated on my wife, even though I can't walk. <laughs> How do you do that? That's or talk. <laughs> I just, dude, who knew? He, got, like, so he had an affair with his fucking nurse or yeah. some shit. Yeah, yeah. he did. Oh. Like, gotta give props. He's got like game in a wheelchair. And yeah, like, what the fuck is he doing? Was he like, was, was he, he, was he sexting right? her? Like, what was he fucking doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. But the baby. Oh, she suck it. Uh, like, what the, the fuck size is of his brain, brain, I guess. <laughs> yeah, big brain. I didn't, I didn't know that was real. He, he gives good helmet. Brain. <laughs> that was terrible. That's where we end. Oh, shit. Thank you very much, John. Absolute pleasure. Fucking, Thanks for coming. You're the man. best. Awesome. And uh, Thank you yeah, very much. I'll pour you another beer. We can hang out. Awesome. All right. Later.